okay video. My favorite Daryl Hall and John Oates song is Maneater. There's just something about it. I'm Nathan Rohr, formerly of Rogers Video Store 613, and I'm joined as always by Ryan McCullough. Hi there, Ryan here. Uh, my favorite Hall and Oates, I don't know what you're saying. Uh, they, they don't like being called that, apparently, oh. which I thought was so great. Which is hilarious, <laughs> but, but like that's what they're... Like that's what their band is. Like their band is Hall and Oates. So I don't know. No, but like they're like, dude, since day one we've always been credited as Daryl Hall and John Oates. I don't know why people did that with the ampersand. And it's like that's amazing that you're carrying that like four decades later. <laughs> so, uh, your kiss yeah. is on my list type of thing is my favorite though. Okay. Like, yeah. I just I can immediately like she's a man eater. I'm like, yeah, okay, but your kiss is on my list. Pretty good. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I was listening to a bunch of their stuff yesterday. <laughs> so uh, there's a great gag. Have you seen She's Out of My League? Uh, yeah, once a while ago. But uh, TJ yeah. TJ Miller is in a Hall and Oates cover band in that movie, oh. and it's kind of great. <laughs> so, anyways, right. uh, hi, I'm Ryan, and I am here watching movies with my friend Nathan. Uh, this this week we're doing something a little different. Uh, we just took a look at superior sequels in our most recent batch. And a certain franchise of films was looming large in our minds during all of that. So we want to bring those films into the light a little bit and discuss them before we move on to our next category, uh, which we will reveal at the end of the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Can uh, I just so, can I just add an extra comment in there, too? If that's yeah, cool. Yeah. So, I, I mean, largely what it came down to is that you and I couldn't agree, like, which uh, sequel we would label as superior within this franchise. Like we have. Oh, was like, that the point? Oh, okay. Like I think I think so. I like, like several of the sequels in the franchise, really. But oh, for yeah, sure, yeah. I also do too. But we, the the question was around superior, right? Like and like. Oh I, sure. I wanted to like really put like a spotlight. Oh, we, I don't think we've said the word alien yet. Oh no, because I was uh, like trying to, to build suspense. Oh okay. I was trying to like I want to put a spotlight as we do on the show often. We like with Ghostbusters too. We like to put a spotlight on shows that we think are like often neglected or not thought well upon. And for me, mm. one of these movies is like deeply neglected in my mind. So anyways, yes, we were talking about the alien franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Walter Hill, Brandywine, all of that. Uh, Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon. Yeah. Exactly. I really want to credit as like the guy, but like, guy. I don't know how much money he got past a certain point. Cause he wasn't one of the financiers. Well, but he still gets uh, but, creative. Like he got, he gets still gets creative. Like, yeah, he get, he him and Geiger get a lot of like creative credit. David Geiler, forward forever. Geiler. Oh no, H. R. Geiger. Yes, Geiger I'm gets credit about. for the alien design, but Dan O'Banion and David Geiler are credited for. Like no, no, it's a different guy. It's Richard something. Oh yeah, that's right. The story writer. Geiler is the aliens guy, who shows oh, up and he? He, okay. and he gets the story credit there, and then he writes the third script with Walter Hill. Anyway, sorry, I apologize. Okay. Uh, well, the two candidates that we're going to be focusing on was uh, Aliens and Alien 3. Uh, Aliens uh, directed and written by James Cameron, so I don't think Geiler really helped out. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> story credit, maybe. Uh, yes, it was released July 18th, 86. Uh, cost 18.5 and made quite a bit of money. Uh, Fox says maybe around $157 million, but a lot of murky numbers from the 80s for some reason. <laughs> the The thing I was looking at was like, it made somewhere between $131 million and $180 million. So, <laughs> so you That's just... a lot of money that's just somewhere. <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, I don't think but, they uh, reported. Did they report money as like 
as like closely probably not but it's just a little weird to me that it's like that big of a variance mm-hmm. that's usually budget doesn't get honestly disclosed sometimes yeah yeah but whatever um and then uh alien 3 directed by david fincher written by david geiler walter hill larry ferguson uh that was released may 22nd 92 cost between 50 and 60 million and pulled in 159.8 million dollars yeah david geiler and walter hill both had a hand in the story idea for aliens then cameron wrote the final screenplay the screenplay okay uh but yeah those are the two movies and uh I guess we can talk about the series at large to some extent too, but these are the, these are the sequels that we're thinking are standouts in some way. Mine is like a pretty obvious normie take. Uh, well, hey, I think Aliens is a pretty good movie. Like I don't know, it's it's well regarded. It got nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Like it was a big hit right away. Oh sure, and it's uh, like definitely lived like lived on. Like people still talk about it. Uh, in my opinion, they talk a lot like they sometimes it overshadows the first movie a little too much. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, it's definitely like when people like talk big about footprint on like video games and all sorts of stuff. Like I feel Halo and Starcraft, like things kind of came out of this like whole Space Marine idea, like putting Space Marines on film. Yes, that left a big wave. Whether you dig it or not, it can get kind of weird aggro dudes in space yeah, <laughs> or yeah. whatever uh but it was pretty novel in 1986 i would imagine so you know fun time and definitely would have been pretty yeah. novel yeah the uh you, we watched the theatrical cut for this one this time right yeah which was a weird experience because i'd mostly zeroed in on that like extended cut uh for a lot of my viewings i also the, did this special edition apocalypse now redux is like my main thing i've seen with that movie fortunately that movie doesn't have like a bunch of sequels where canon gets would get weird yes but like there's like events that i'm like oh no that happened and it's like no that never actually happened because it was a deleted scene that is not considered a thing that happened so does ripley's daughter exist in the canon or not because i remember a scene where they're looking at a picture of her and she's really upset that her daughter died during the interim 57 years when she was frozen. And I don't know if that's even in there anymore at all. Like there, there didn't seem to be a record of that person existing. Well, and even, yeah, like that's, there's a whole sequence. Like that's one of the big, uh, the special editions, like 30 minutes, like longer. And it's a lot of early scenes plunked back in of like life, life with Ripley after she wakes up 57 years later and finds yeah. out, like, all of a sudden, her little daughter is now, like, nearly a senior citizen. And, and has like, passed away, I believe. Like, it was, like, even weirder. It was like, oh, yeah, no, she was, like, 68, and uh, she passed away, and sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just this weird, like, oh, okay. The the way it plays now, I actually really don't like that it goes into a dream scene after <laughs> she's told that. Because it was just, like... So was that true? Like usually, I, know. I don't get the way get that they real reveal information in that scene, like information that's actually critical to the plot, and then and you're emotionally like, like, wait, was that hard real? hitting? Yeah, but like, yeah. was that real? And then is it real? Is it actually real? But then we assume she had a nightmare about the true information she got, type of thing. Yeah. Right, like she was told that earlier, and then had a nightmare where she's told that, and then a chestburster happens. Yes. Like it just seemed kind of cheap. It is a it is a uh, clever way to cut in the context, like twenty minutes yeah. out of your movie, though. 
Sure. Because then you do get like a tighter film. I mean, it's still James Cameron, so it's still bloated oh, in parts. You, yeah, you lose the. There was a scene where they like jump to Newt's family yes. and like they're driving out to go. Check the, out the, it used to spaceship. be the opening scene of the movie. Was that we were on the planet ah. and like we're with Newt's family as the outbreak starts happening, and then we catch up with Ripley. I I honestly felt like the jump happens. I I haven't seen it in the last week because we didn't do that. But, like, there's the scene where it's like, oh, there's, like, 60 or 70 families there. Yeah. And then it's like, what? And then jump to that. And then they show them. Yeah, that's – oh, sorry. That's what I mean. Like, because Newt's family is part of this big colony. So we open the with the colony. Yeah, yeah. And then we jump to Ripley. In this movie, in this theatrical cut, we're with Ripley right off the bat type of thing. And stay with her. Like, she's yeah. the point of contact, the whole movie, yeah, yeah. really, the story. 100%. Which, it, it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. And it totally changes the, like, vibe of them discovering something did go awry at the base. Like, I was not, like, I've never seen the movie where that's, like, a thing the audience gets at that moment. Because it's like, no, we know they're in trouble because we saw, like, a family van pull up near the the spaceship full of aliens. Like, obviously, we know what befell the colony. But here it's like, oh, maybe we just lost contact or whatever. Let's go see what's going on. And then they open the door and it's like, oh, stuff went bad. And it's like, okay, that's like a different moment. Oh, for sure. I actually do think that that is a better choice other than like the fact that we're watching a movie called Aliens. So right off the bat, we're expecting aliens. No, it's actually fine. They just tripped on the radio cord. Exactly. But like (laughs) there is a better – from a better narrative standpoint, the theatrical cut makes more sense because it – then there is a bit of mystery with the characters, even though the, it's ruined for the audience. Like, as you know what you're seeing. Um, sure. You're still going along trailer. with the, them being like, what is out there type of thing? Is there this thing happening? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, Ripley just, her decision making in this movie bum, bum fuzzles me. I do not understand like her motivation. Like, deciding to go, and or... Deciding to go, the choices she makes when she's there. Like, I'll get into it more, like... Yeah, I don't want to get into it yet. Let's talk about the positives for aliens. I don't want to I don't want to immediately open with my, like, Reagan. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Paul Reiser's well, pauses, great. I mean, it's like a pretty much flawless screenplay. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you got some amazing performances. Okay. I mean, she got nominated for Best Actress for yeah. an action film, so yeah, really kicking nominated. open doors and changing things. The, in the, in the uh, nomination field filled with, like, men uh, nominating women, so, of course, she would, they would feel like she was being... Like a perfect. Heroine. Oh, like they're like, oh man, cool. She's got a flamethrower. Let's nominate her. <laughs> she didn't win though. I was actually like, who is Marley Martin, the winner of the Oscar that year? Isn't Children of a Lesser deaf, God. Yeah, that's the deaf girl. The oh, deaf okay. I don't know what that movie is. Gotcha. So sorry, Marley Martin. That's who Marley Martin is, though. Um. Okay. Yeah, I don't. The screenplay. The screenplay. You saw? Have you seen Rambo? Okay. Rambo, like First Blood Part Two. Ram- oh yeah, that was around the same time actually. Was also actually James two years, Cameron two, story one credit. Year early. Yeah. Well, he got he was on the screenplay credit actually. Um, do you remember at the end of that movie when he just like gets the biggest gun and starts like laying waste Shooting to up everybody? Like Charles Napier's office. Yeah, and, he's and just then like, he gets into a helicopter and just starts. Him bombing it and like shooting all the missiles and all the bullets and yelling yeah a weird owl parodied that and yeah it was, it was kind of great he's just yelling he does yeah. the exact same scene he writes the exact same scene again in this movie oh except it's way less yelling uh which oh I no for sure really but even no 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 he's yeah. not yelling a lot he's <laughs> yelling when he's shooting the gun he's not yelling while he's in the helicopter 
I'm you're you know you're probably right. I'm seeing Weird Al in my head, and he's okay. always yelling because yeah, that's, that's the joke. He is definitely yelling. Maybe Stallone is Tony. Stallone is definitely yelling when he's shooting his giant like M80 because I remember he's yeah. yelling, and then it runs out of bullets, and he's still yelling, and then he throws the gun on the table. So I remember that scene specifically. But when he's yeah, in yeah. the helicopter, just blowing up these like visit v- villager homes. Bases type of thing yeah. which is like it just for me it's like it's another point uh, no, of just, there was totally guard tower it was like, bad guys were in there like just james cameron lifted this plot point and immediately plunked it down into his movie but because he, he knows I it's mean, a visually cool scene to put in but it, that scene makes zero sense to ripley's motivations like ripley is a smart person and here she is on a planet that's gonna blow up and kill all these eggs but she's got a shoot it herself. that's the thing that's the thing i i felt like there was like a weird extra moment to that scene that i didn't really notice it was like they like her and the queen kind of have like a silent exchange where it's like we're gonna back out of here right now and that's it okay and then the queen basically orders two drones to not do anything yeah so then she starts backing away with newt but then the queen like tries to pull a fast one and opens that egg. Yes. And then that's when you get the head tilt and it's like, oh, you you screwed up. And then she starts flaming everything, which is like unnecessary because, yes, the whole place is going to explode. So why would you aggro the boss monster like before you leave? Yeah. Uh, but that's what happens. And yeah, like, I don't know. I kind of like love the head tilt moment so much that I'm OK with it. Yeah. And I totally. But, OK. Yeah. Okay, so I gotta be very clear right off the bat. I really, I do like Aliens. I do like mm-hmm. Aliens. I think it's a, a solid action film. I see. Why is that a bad thing? It's not a bad like, thing. You're kind of doing a genre snob thing. No, 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 no. Labeling no, no. it. No, no, it's not you know. a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a. I'm or not is saying it like I prefer horror films. No, so no, no, no. Therefore, no, 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 no. no. Okay. I'm not saying that at all. I, I, I'm making the argument that it's a solid action film. I just don't think it's as good as the other action films. And like, doesn't even number four, like I'm not trying to make number four is better than two. I don't know what to think about that, but because it's an action doesn't make it worse for me. There are other things that make it like not as good about, and that's my opinion. I just think it's like, this is like a solid 7.5 where I'd put like one at a nine and, okay. and three and an eight. So I, I like it. I just don't think it is good as people make it out to be because I think people are like action movies that have a little bit of feelings in it are like high art because like this the is a stew or something. Well, do they just yeah. make the argument that Terminator 2 is like one of the greatest movies of all time? I'm like, it's a solid action film, which is not a bad thing. But nobody's saying Commando or total recall are the greatest movies of all time i'm just saying they're all solid action films and there's other people standing up and like yeah but terminator 2 like there's that dad relationship there and i'm like there's no dad relationship there <laughs> it's not written well yeah enough. i don't know if it's like the things i like about terminator 2 or aliens is like that stuff i think i just like the like these are like well storyboarded sequences or oh, sure. what i was saying about the screenplay is like i actually really like it's like textbook stuff like and he is like copy pasting like even from the first alien mm-hmm. like the fact that one of the final like quandaries is a thing is going to explode yes. and we got to get out of here. That's like that happened in the first movie. But it's like, yeah, but it's a great thing in the first movie. So we'll just put it in here, too. Well, But he also went. Uh, he just kind of like what he did is like he wrote in his script like the first movie, but then he put X symbol and then 10 beside it. 
yeah, there's like way more aliens and like a way bigger explosion. But that's the thing is <laughs> like know. that's the you and I have derided. There's only one droid though, and he's not evil, so they that's didn't do that. Also okay, but that's a big the that's video a, game did. That's though. a big argument actually against the movie for me, but that's okay. Um, is a good android is a it's he misses the point of Ridley Scott's film is my point. Like that's why that's why that's why I actually don't think Aliens is a good alien film. I think it's actually just a solid action film, but I don't think it's a good aliens film. Uh, Like, well, what is the core theme? Because like I feel they get into like the corporate mentality being like super screwed up, one hundred percent. Yes, like really overtly, but I'm still okay with it because I love hating Burke. But somehow, I just think Bishop Bishop is immune to corporate mentality. Like he is being. Fully programmed by the company, which is weird. You're right. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I think he misses the point that, like, right from the get go, uh, like, he, because, so, oh man, Bishop is making the argument that that older model played by Ian Holm is, like, faulty and stuff like that. I'm making the argument that, like, that is a James Cameron out. I think that earlier model is exactly in line with David that we see in the prequel films. Sure. Or, like, their company controls products so they would always prefer to work in on behalf of the company kind of thing yes but, like, I, but even company more so malevolence is really like a thing i was i i actually was appreciating about how alien 3 handles some of that stuff because sure. it's just like all of this data is going to the company like there's nothing you can do about it you use like a a wayland yutani phone everything is going to yeah. them like that kind of stuff like the characters aren't consciously like telling them that ripley has an alien in her yes. but like they use their scanner so that data goes to the network no. it's just kind of like that's how it would go like that's no, kind of smart. like shrewd like tech tech savvy for 1992 of just being like this is going to be on the internet and it's going to go to the masters yeah and there's nothing you can do about it it's just like yeah that's 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 unfortunate but that's how it goes i don't know if bishop's like off network somehow because like she uses him for the flight recorder thing in that movie and i don't know that that goes to the company or not like net, if he's a network device you know i don't think that but, he does okay so getting yeah, back, getting we're back getting to my... into two movies here but i i just liked things about i you know i watched both in short order and they handled things slightly differently with wayland but anyway, yeah. I, but I make I'm, so I'm not making the argument that Alien Three is is doing this. So just be clear about that, because Alien okay. Three still follows Aliens, which turns into Aliens. I think fundamentally changed the the series into Wayland the company is bad. Whereas what I think right. Ridley Scott was trying to do in the beginning was this android is similar to what he eventually tried to do in Blade Runner. This android has do androids dream of electric sheep. He's trying to show like that nothing was actually wrong with Ian Holmes other than the fact that he has a little bit of AI. Like he has a little bit of artificial real intelligence. And that's why he okay. chose to go as, as evil as he did. Because yes, he's got these directives, but he's not he doesn't have to follow to the way he does. And I think we see that subsequently in Ridley Scott's like prequels that Ridley is not trying to talk about these xenomorphs. Xenomorphs are just a byproduct of people designing and engineering things uh-huh. okay so the in the in the prequels prometheus we have the the before people that are trying to engineer people and and make these things and then people go and engineer androids and then it turns into david and david's actually the big villain of ridley scott's prequel trilogy and not the xenomorphs their xenomorphs uh-huh. are just tools that david uses to for his will 
I think that goes in line with what Ridley Scott in the first one was trying to do because at the end of the day, like the Xenomorph is there killing people, but Ian Holm is the villain of that film. He's he yeah, Ridley Scott is definitely more interested in the AIs and the artificial intelligence characters. Yes. Like Bishop is fun, but he's kind of just a side supporting guy. Yeah, he's it, like he's know. like it's what you it's what Terminator two is like it's like a, oh he's a fun buddy robot. Oh, it's just robot. a different mentality about robots. Yeah, it's a buddy robot situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I saying. guess like, so. That's where and then like Alien Three follows suit because all of a sudden aliens leans more heavily into corporate structures are terrible, which has that thread in Alien. But I think at the end of the day, that movie's not about how bad Wayland Yutani is, which is offsite. It's about how bad androids are because you can't trust them. Like they don't have emoting human emotions, but they have intelligence. And that's where mm-hmm. David even comes in because then David, who can be supremely logical, can be deeply selfish and therefore make only choices for himself and not yeah, for the Yeah, he's like of people. almost a good guy in Prometheus, but there's like wrinkles and notes and strange things he's done already and yeah, yes. it's it's I I don't know. I I do like those prequel films more than most apparently. Like they they've kind of gotten a bit of a backlashery out out and about. Yeah, Especially we can, Prometheus, despite being successful, we can <laughs> like $400 be, we can million. Get into, I actually do want to get into the prequels later, but we'll, we'll save that for later. I just wanted to make the point about like something that like yeah. I dislike about Aliens is how it changes – it like it moved away from what I think what Ridley Scott was trying to do and why I think Ridley kind of got frustrated with the series as a whole. Because okay. you can clearly see when he got back to it, he didn't care about the Xenomorph because it's barely there in Prometheus. He immediately yeah. got back into in, like design intelligent design engineers and stuff like that creating things and like an engineer creating a human and then a human creating an android like he's trying to get into this idea and he i think that's what he always saw his movie about and then i think james cameron showed up and was like there's a simple bad guy here big corporate greed is a bad guy so and i think he made a simple decision and i think mm-hmm. That I'm not. It is like that's the thing. It is a pretty like simple, straightforward movie in a way that's like easy. Like as a kid, it was easily my favorite because it's just like, oh, this is like a fun action movie. Cool. Yeah. And there's like big fights in it, and yeah, like where you know, whereas there's like more to grapple with. Same thing as a kid. I liked watching aliens because like it was a fun, lots of bullets, like. Like Hudson still makes me laugh every single time watching. He made oh, me laugh. When I can't I was a believe kid. one of his lines isn't in this cut where he's talking about all the weapons they have. Yeah. Like that became like a core Hudson line. And it's just like we got knives, sharp sticks. And it's like that's <laughs> hilarious, Bill Paxton. You're owning it, but that's only in the extended cut. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, okay. There's like a couple. But notes you still get missing. game over, man. Game over. You do. Yeah. His like you really nasally voice. It's like so perfect uh but but right again that's the that's just back briefly to what i was saying about the screenplay it's just that escalation of like obstacles where it's like oh we can hunker down and wait for 17 days we've actually welded all this shut oh no the cooling tower is going to explode because our drop ship hit it yeah uh we have four hours like just that kind of like tension and escalation yeah it's it's it's, you're right it is like what you said earlier it's a very classic script like it's we have to get off this planet now. Setting time limits. Yeah. We have dilemmas. We have like a couple relationships developing, but like we don't have time. We got to go. There's there's going to be a thing. And yeah. it's like, okay. Like it's just that's that's a nice, neatly tied movie. And then it does the kind of like one more thing with like two climaxes, which <laughs> yeah. uh, really like surprised me the first time I saw it and I couldn't believe it. Which uh, is your preferred and, climax? Oh, man. 
I mean, I I do like the the fight in the ship. I oh think no, it's no, that's awesome. I think that's the right answer. For yeah, sure. yeah. Like okay. I I'm like I'm making the, the argument. It stretches plausibility like pretty oh, sure. hard, and I always look at it as just like. So did it jump on the ship there? Like it had like four seconds, but yeah, okay. Well, it know. can survive in space. That's the thing, right? Like they can survive sure. a long periods in space. They are resilient cockroachy creatures. Yes. Yeah. Um, I actually I really liked the. So when I was being critical of a climax, it was because I didn't like the in the queen's lair, um, chapter like climax. her shooting everything. Oh, just and burning like everything. Ridley's yeah. decision making. I'm like, yeah, I get what she would go after Newt, but then. Why would she put Newt's in harm's way by immediately like angering the queen and then knowing all those xenomorphs yeah. would come immediately after her? Like that doesn't, and then wasting all of her ammo too, so she has nothing for the ride back. Like that made very it's, little sense. It's to really me. just that egg opening moment. Is like, do you go with like she was? The, oh sure, the queen betrayed. I them totally get what not. you're saying. I get it as a reason. Yeah. I'm looking at like what is Ripley's motivation throughout this ent- entire film, and like yeah. James Cameron. I think wrongfully saddled. I think the only rate. Okay, this is gonna be a criticism I have against James Cameron as a writer. Yeah, I think he he knows how to write women in two ways, as uh, helpless wife, or or mother, and who's motivated by that that intrinsic need to be a wife or a mother, or yeah. as men. Oh, okay. Because I I I was I thought mom was gonna be like a separate one. Or but then it's like you or you have Vasquez who is just like tough. Or you have Lyndall Hamilton as tough as anybody. So you have Linda Hamilton yeah. and Terminator as like the helpless yeah. like victim who needs a man to show up and save her, and yeah. then she transforms into like the worst mother character in the movie, and then she becomes like more like. And I'm not saying like women can't become like strong and buff and all those things, but he like doesn't write Vasquez as a woman who is a marine. He writes him as a a man who happens to have uh, female genitalia. I I guess I I, I still kind of dig what Vasquez is doing. Oh man, <laughs> just, just like, like a cool Vasquez person. is my least favorite character in that entire movie. I cannot stand Vasquez. Oh okay. So I'm so sorry, I, but yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. There's still something about like when she fails, like when she dies with Gorman, like it still just kind of works in some dumb oh, way sure. that I, I still dig. I just, I don't know, man. But, yeah. I just, I want, I want to think like, I want to enjoy James Cameron films. Like I used to, cause I, I, I used to love his movies. I used to love aliens, the abyss terminator. Like I love these. I still love these movies in a way, but they just like, they notch down every single time he currently opens his mouth about his body of work. Oh, okay. He's too prideful about it. Oh or, man, like, like I don't, I don't follow him. I just kind of tune in every nine years when he makes a movie. <laughs> so, but that's exactly yeah. when, like, I just when like Titanic yeah. comes out, and then he thinks of like he gets up and he says, "I'm the king of the world." Like, there's no it's sense like of his irony. head inflates a little bit more. No, there's time. no sense of irony that he says that <laughs> at the Oscars, or he sits down with Oprah talking about how amazingly genius the script to Avatar is. How genius yeah. he literally says the genius thing about the script of Avatar is it's the duality, like how Pandora is actually a metaphor for Earth. He said mm-hmm. that he wrote his <laughs> own script. That's his script he wrote, and he called it genius. Yeah, I just I can't I can't forgive this. And I love True Lies because it's a clever, fun, silly action film. I love Terminator Two because it's a fun action film. But that's just like that's just it. They're not super smart movies that he thinks that they are. Mm-hmm. They're just sil- sil- mm. simple movies. Like they're simple 
movies and that's fine and I have nothing wrong with that like genre movies you, you kind of said like I was making fun of genre movies or putting I'm like no I actually love genre movies and you know this better than most because I think yeah. the reason why I, I, I just liked... thought it was maybe like a horror preference or something because oh, no, no. like there's kind of this like oh the second movie kind of is the black sheep because it wandered out of its genre or something oh sure no, no I, I definitely know what you're trying what you're doing what you are saying I do love the yeah. action genre but I personally biasly like the horror genre more than the action genre okay so when I was a kid watching all the alien films I gravitated towards three more because of the horror elements I gravitated more to alien because of the horror elements Okay, but that was because I liked horror more as a kid and as an adult now than I do action. Mm-hmm. But that's not saying like I think action is worse than three. It's just that's the genre for me. Whereas I still like action films. I just like it, yeah, it it is very much an action film. I still find like it comes up with some okay tension devices like the motion scanner yeah. stuff, where it's just like there's like the sense of the horde coming and you have no idea what's going on. Like until they're... until it falls apart. There's just there's some classic this tropes. Is like why didn't you check the ceiling tiles? Well, like, no, earlier? there's just some classic tropes in like in this movie and in Alien Three, where like the editing, the poor editing of the movie creates like a sense, a false sense of like I I got elevated out of the suspense because he's he's telling you how quickly the numbers are dropping, and then the last number we hear is four meters, and then they look up, like he's dropping the numbers so quickly. And then oh, yeah, he yeah, says yeah. four Little meters, yeah. and then all of a sudden they they, they look around, the they look around, and then they look yeah. up, and then he slowly looks up, and I'm like, way that they're dropping numbers, they would have been in on top of them immediately. That false sense ah. of tension. Alien Three does the same thing with the closing door of the piston. The piston is moving so fast, and all of a sudden, like that thing is the scene is stretched on for so long trying to get the alien trapped, and the piston's moving oh, okay. at a speed which you're like, every time they show you a shot of it, it's like cruising, and I'm like. That's gonna close. Like they're not. They're done. It's over. You don't have enough time. Yeah. You're not budgeting. But that's what I mean. Like there's I, that false yeah. sense of tension through editing that is just not effective. And both movies suffer from this. And that that scene actually like is something that takes me out of it because I'm like, oh, four meters is like, like me to the door, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. like they like take so long to go up, and the aliens are moving fast. And whereas they really talk about getting like thorough blueprints of the rooms and stuff so i just don't know how they got themselves in this situation well, in the first place it's one of those but, things yeah. it's one of those things where as i was watching aliens i was like man this was this was high-tech stuff in 1987 86 87 86 86 yeah. but i was like man like and i can sit here and appreciate that this is like a weird retro futuristic uh, concepts sure. but like i'm still watching this monitor and it's like like super low grade, like VHS quality stuff. Oh, happening. The, the portable things they have. Or, or no, no, or just oh, no, they're anywhere, like anywhere. Like yeah, whether they're all control of the rain monitors. Yeah, it's, yeah like, it's like the Predator Two scene we talked about. But like, I watched it in HD here too, and it's just like low-fi yeah, Betamax it's tapes. Exactly, like, it's pretty awesome. And you're just like, there's <laughs> but, kind of this, this sense of like the, but it's something I really like about future retro. Like the mm-hmm. future, it's like we jumped 200 years in the future from 1986. And there's no, like, development in some ways until we got to the future. And then all of a sudden, like, all of your science fiction things are real, but we don't have HD picture. We went back to CRT because <laughs> yeah. it's just so easy to fix or something. Yeah, something <laughs> like, like that. There was some off-screen decision. So when they have yeah. the tracker thing, like, even every time they look at the blueprint, I'm like, how are they telling levels in this 2D blueprint? <laughs> like, they're like, go down level. And I'm like, that's the... Well, it's just looking. all fuzzy looking because yeah, so. it's distorted somehow by a single layer of yeah, yeah. ceiling tile. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, yeah, there there was a... Oh, I'm trying to think. 
I, I kind of like before that, like when she's getting the blueprints or whatever, just how cool headed Ripley is all the time. <laughs> like she, she basically like talks Hudson out of his hysteria yes. by just giving him a task to do yep. kind of stuff. Like just those little things of her kind of just asserting herself in this group and like taking charge of little details. Like, like slowly I, taking charge. That's one thing he did do well is that yeah. he, he slowly, cause at the very beginning of the mission, they set her set her up in the in the story that she's just like why the heck is she there? All the Marines hate why her. Why is this consultant Nobody respects here? her. And then she slowly yeah. builds up to show their respect. Like he, I, I think that's it. That's a something that he does really well in the script. Um, but like I make the, the argument that Alien Three also kind of like hey, I was I was a space trucker. Like I can do this. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. But I think I but, mean yeah. there's that one shot where she's early in when she's when she's using the the loader and she's like. Where do you want it? And I was just like, oh, come on. Like, this is, this is so yeah. cheesy. But anyways, it's fine. Alien 3 does a similar thing where, like, this outsider comes in and they have to, like, build the trust and eventually yeah. everyone follows her. Oh, man. She she has a great line in 3 where she's, like, approaches – like, she comes to the cafeteria to, yeah. like, get into normal life at this place for a week or whatever uh, and walks over to a table and it's just like, we're all rapists and murderers here. And it's just like – Oh, I guess I must make you nervous then. Huh? Like, like she's just like <laughs> I know she's got such. I'm gall. making you uncomfortable, yeah. kind of thing. I like it's, how much gall great. she has in that movie. I really appreciate how much gall she has in that movie. Um, oh, I had the quote here. I must make you nervous. Yeah, uh, yeah. That that um, was just a cool like. So uh, not phased moment. Yeah. I used to I used to begrudge. I'll say something positive about James Cameron now. I used to begrudge yeah. James Cameron a lot more about Aliens, about how the treatment of Ripley. He's a, as a character yeah. that I deeply love. Like when I was a kid, like I just, I looked up to Ripley. I looked up to Sigourney Weaver my whole life. And I just, as Ripley is a great example of like, that's an action star that I looked forward to seeing her movies and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I used to deride this movie because I was like so frustrated that they gave her a, a kid to care for. And that was her internal motivation was to save this child and not just to survive. Like, why can't she just want to survive? Like everybody else wants to survive. They have to give her a kid. But I think, the way that he gets she he gets her to interact with their marines and slowly build the respect. Now he also is writing really dumb human beings nonstop throughout the entire script. Like nobody in this movie is smart except for Ridley. Uh, oh, like yeah, like the guy in command, Gorman, is totally out of his depth. Hudson, and, like, everyone's pretty. Vasquez, Hicks, yeah, Hicks. The smartest thing Hicks ever does in the movie is just listen to Ripley. But Listen even then, what, yeah, the, even yeah, when he's given like military command, it's just like, all right, I'm gonna pair it with she said because yeah. uh, that sounds like a good idea, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So that's the smartest yeah, thing right. he does, but he's not writing like this is not a flattering movie to the military. Not really. No, they they're good at shooting stuff. No, they're uh, not even that good at shooting things. Vasquez is pretty good at shooting that facehugger. She killed hers in like three bullets, where Hudson took like a clip. <laughs> <laughs> to but, be fair, you know. Hudson is like that's that is the most useless guy on the team. Like he panicking, yeah. All, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think he's their tech guy. Yeah. He like hacks the door. But like you know? I don't know. Like the fact that they like they're so dumb that like like okay yeah the guy in charge is obviously the worst. Like you always have to give like a sniveling guy who's second in charge like the lieutenant. Like they have it in all the movies. Like the offsite yeah. general kind of guy. And yeah, yeah. He tells them to lose their the bullets right. And then they all sneakily put their bullets back out. And does not out. explain no. why. But then, but then, like, the, the end yeah. of the day, they're Marines. They shouldn't have to be when sneaking their bullets back. And they should just be trusting. Because at the end of the day, a, a commander doesn't have to tell you whys. You don't actually sure. ever ask whys. You just do it. And here are the Marines being like, yeah, screw that guy. 
clip and you're like, well, they're dumb. Like they're also dumb. Yeah, they're they're going to blow dumb. themselves up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Fortunately they don't, but yeah. Well, uh, fortunately. Yeah. Um, something, okay. Something that has always well, bugged actually, me. All of those characters do end up blowing up, but it's later. <laughs> and every so, single yeah. one of those characters die. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even if it doesn't happen in this movie, all of them die. Um, mm-hmm. I'm never been which, a fan. Which is a big point of contention we'll have to talk about, but yes. that, that's fine. But actually, yeah. I, I, have, I have a new, like, there's a new appreciation I have from the third, from this most recent watching of the third movie that I want to share with you, just to kind of, like, as an olive branch, because I know that this is a point of contention is around Hicks. Well, yeah. But let's, well, I want to talk about, I, I, I want to talk I, about I've Aliens. I've thought about it a lot, but yeah. I want to talk yeah. about Aliens a little bit uh, more. Something that's always, like, okay. kind of bugged me, and this is just, like, this is, again, this is a not, not flattering towards James Cameron. His miniature yeah. work, there's something about his miniature work that I just, gravity doesn't work right in his miniature work. When it's like, when I watch Star Wars and like a s- small spaceship enters a sm- larger than small, but still pretty small spaceship like area, it looks like that's happening. Whereas like James Cameron's like camera work and close-ups, like the truck's moving and it's just, there's an airiness to all of its movements that I just like, it doesn't look like something real. Like on a yeah. large scale it looks like miniatures and this is like there a criticism one or two shot like there's a shot where the dropship like opens yes. and it happens really fast yeah. and it was just like there's like no sense of weight on that thing flipping open oh, no. it looks kind of like a toy when it's but flying it like and a cool crashing, toy when it's flying yeah. and crashing like the flames look like small flames because they didn't mm. they didn't supplement in real flames like size large size flames and like yeah. when the truck is driving through like the rough terrain it's like bouncier than it should be for how heavy it is something about the truck really like worked perfectly like i i was looking at it and was just totally reminded of tim burton's like batmobile yeah and then read a trivia note where it was like oh some of the same stuff was used for like the chemical plant in batman like years later it's like oh weird like maybe i was even seeing like the same corridors or something but it looks fake but they're intercutting inside it to try to kind of get oh, for around sure. it. But that's what my point is about like when you watch Star Wars as a kid, like it didn't look fake. Like you were kind of just like I was kind of in a maze. Like how did mentally buying like Luke Skywalker is in that cockpit of the X-Wing. Or like I'm thinking of specifically the planet Hoth scene, which is like really hard to do because oh, yeah. like you have those AT-ATs moving and they didn't feel like they were small things moving on – like snow, like on fake snow, like it never had that sense of scale was gone. Oh sure, yeah. Actually, him climbing up into its underbelly really helps too. For sure, yeah. Like that, the fact there's, that they there with like, but and it's, that was six years earlier. Yes, <laughs> so. but this is what I'm trying to say. Like James Cameron, because yeah. I, I, it's not just this movie. I should, I should clarify. Terminator, Terminator One and Two have opening sequences in the future with like their metal yeah. ships, and I always found that those also were just like terrible looking. Like it just looked like something was on a wire moving along and flying in a really weird way. Like it just, I don't know. I just, something about James Cameron's ability. One, one gets the excuse of being relatively low budget. Yes. Like two. two yeah. Does not it's, get the it's the same drop. Neither does aliens get the excuse though too. Yeah. Yeah. Although I guess he was kind of fighting with some of his crew for some reason, according to IMDb stuff. It's, it's weird, but that's not yeah, shocking. Chippiness. This is really his first real movie, right? Like Terminator was a small budget this is his first yeah, real film. Yeah, I think this is his first like big studio gig kind of kind of. I just re- I just heard a. This is a side about Terminator, but I was watching a clip when um, on Graham Norton show with uh, from Terminator Dark Dark Fate, and Arnold was sharing uh-huh. that like that scene when he goes up and punches that car window. Oh yeah, that car was just on the street. 
Oh, like, that's a real car they window? Didn't, they didn't get, like, they didn't have permits to shoot there. So James was like, okay, get up, walk over, punch it, open it up, and, and get inside. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, that's what he how, did. like, gorilla that, that filming was. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways. Crazy. Um, yeah. I, man, it's hard because, like, I sit here and I feel like such a spoil sport for a movie that I do like. But it's just like well, was it like that that's we've been getting into like our introductions to the films as like part of the saga for the superior sequels category anyway. No, like, like I, I watched was it, when it was a badly kid. introduced to you no, no, kind no. of thing. That's or? the thing. I've always liked okay. this movie. It's just it's part of that like and we talked about this lots on the show. As I got older, I liked Alien 1, 2 and 3. Like I remember I remember Alien 3 coming out and being excited cuz I saw the advertisements. I saw the one shot of Ripley kind of standing bald head and then like this weird orange light behind her head and just being really excited yeah, about yeah. Alien 3. And I went and saw and I saw it on Blockbuster a few years after it came out cuz I was still too young, but I was excited about it and I liked it. And then just growing up and then having everybody tell me like it's just the world telling me that like no Alien 3 sucks. Aliens is, like, as good as Alien. And I'm like, what? Like, Alien is is in another doing its own thing that's very different. And then mm. Alien shows up and is like, let's make an action movie out of this. That's a good idea. But it's not the same. And then Aliens 3 is, Alien 3 is really good. I really like Alien 3. And then everyone's like, oh, but it had such a troubled sh- shooting. I'm like, okay. Lots of movies have troubled shootings and... A director can disown a film and it still be a good film. Mm. Like that's I, yeah. Because like there's in theory. <laughs> no, no. But here's the thing: you, unless yeah. you buy into the Otier theory, that's the uh-huh. only way that there are other parts. There's many moving parts of a movie, and yes, sure, studios sure, sure. can ru- show up and ruin things. But Sigourney Weaver's performance for me in Ripley is her best performance as Ripley. Period. Uh, I find it. A little weird just I, I one of my notes for three was just like for how much like uh audience would have like liked the characters from two like and how they just kill them yeah i feel ripley needs to be more upset in three. Oh, see okay. for like a, a beat in wow. in that movie to give you that because oh, no. they don't really do it well i don't that's 100 you know? something i'm gonna fully disagree with you on that's the what that's the thing i like appreciated a lot more this time her suicidalness isn't connected to the queen in her chest it's because she lost everything and her everything is is newt and no no i care i like i know it's like a convenient thing that like the queen's in her chest so i must die but yeah she wants to kill herself before she finds out the queen's in her like she's like what do i have left like what she falls apart around newt i think people project a romantic storyline between ripley and hicks that they could just have camaraderie, but I think people project a romantic storyline. Oh, oh, there's like tiny flirtations or oh, something. Oh, for sure, but, but flirtations can happen. Yeah. I think her real connection in that movie is uh, with Newt and like the scene where they're... So, okay, let's let's just set up Alien 3 because I Because do... there's the autopsy scene yeah. in, in 3, and I felt there was like a coldness, that, which I associate with Fincher, so it's just how I perceive his work yeah. is like a pretty cold-hearted situation yeah. in a way that can be great. But there's like kind of like almost an immediate pivot to just like they might be infected, like they might be impregnated with aliens. We need to deal with that problem because that's what I'm more concerned about other than like I just lost people, you know, Sure. like and it is people she didn't know for very long, really. But the whole second movie hinges on like her commitment to saving Newt. And like the promise to come back and all that, like yeah. at the end. But I think that's the so like, like if you, you feel like a bond was really forged, and then in th- 
Like, honestly, I, I chalk it up to, like, the development delay of 3 necessitated this to happen because it's either that or, like, recasting Newt because six years happened. Yeah. You know? So it's, like, a way around it. But I just don't feel like it landed yeah, properly I, for I'd me. I'd make an argument. I think you're right that there definitely is a part of that that's that's why they did it. But they also did it because – Like, it's a pragmatism, you know? They also, yeah. I think, did it because they wanted to make a horror film, and having a kid in a horror film makes the horror cheap all of a sudden. It, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Um, but I, I think they wanted to kind of go back to, like, Ripley being a survivor at her wit's end. Like, there is no more surviving this, this like, story that she's on. Like, it is a very nihilistic film. I totally, I totally well, agree on that. Like, the bleakness of it is so hard to, like, get into because it's, like – like two for better for worse is like actually trying to be kind of a fun movie, which is like, like, is that what you should be doing with like, you know, cosmic horror elements or whatever? It's just like, I don't know. Like, why not? But that's (laughs) the thing. Like, okay. So mentality, right. This is what challenges me. Okay. So alien three, let's just, let's just give a brief synopsis. Alien three. Yeah. Um, at the end of aliens, uh, Ripley, half a Bishop newt and a really hurt Hicks escape. Um, and they're on a shuttle. All this, the Alien Three opens with something's gone wrong. There's a uh, a face hugger on the ship, which Alien does set up because at the end of the credits, if you listen right to the end of the credits, there's tip tapping of face hugger moving sounds. Oh, is there? Yes, there is. Oh, okay. I read this I, online. I thought they just kind of tacked on. No, it's like this, like other unlikely event. Right after the final but, credit yeah. goes up, there's a little blackness, and then you can hear like a. T- like a, what the sound of a crawler going. Um, oh, okay. So it's, Weird. It's setting this up in some way, not necessarily killing everybody, but setting up that there is aliens have survived. That the, the threat is not done. No, I guess. So, anyways, sure, sure. Uh, they crash land on a prison planet occupied by only men and yeah. largely violent men of some sort. Um, mm-hmm. In the crash, Newt and Hicks die. Uh, Newt looks like she's died from her cell being hatched open and her drowning because of uh, this face hugger situation. And mm-hmm. Hicks is killed by just debris from a crash land. And, like just impaled on yeah. a post or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Ripley, Ripley survives. And then the movie gets sent forward. I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like, it's not a, it's definitely a darker film. It's definitely trying to do something different. Like I think when you look at it, it's not yeah. like the first movie. There's still a survival aspect in all three films, which is the one similarity, but it's not like the first movie because the first movie has a bit of like restraintness to even to the violence. Whereas this movie has mm-hmm. very little restraint to the violence. Like we're, we're seeing a lot more stuff happening in this movie. Yeah. There's a lot more vulnerability in the people in this movie because there's no weapons on this planet. Like they literally have, iron like rods from plumbing. like kitchen knives yeah. uh fire axes and like bits of metal <laughs> yeah that they can yeah. wave around um yeah and like flares and oil or something but yeah, yeah so i i because of my like not caring about aliens as like a i don't get invested in in newt as or hicks as, as characters throughout the movie I, I think it's a fun movie i do not get invested in yeah. them as characters for me the opening sequence of them being dead offers up like a whoa this is offering up like it sets up the theme for the entire film which is nihilistic like anything happened to anybody type of thing right and to anyone can die anyone can die like there is no like especially when you think about this movie like you think about alien 3 and who we get introduced to 
and what famous people don't survive throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. Like you're just like, oh, okay. Like we got Paul McGann who gets introduced and you're like, he does nothing wrong. And all of a sudden he's gone halfway through. We got uh, Pete Postlewaite who shows up like halfway through the film as a character and he dies. Subs- like he, he's, he's quietly there. Yeah. And then just his name is David and he's, he's, yeah, he's quietly good there, and, but yeah. then he's more presently there halfway through the film, but then he only goes sure, off sure, to sure. die. And then yeah, yeah. we got Charles Dance, who has is one of my favorite death scenes of all time. Uh, oh, it's 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 so weird because it's like the one person you're really like starting to enjoy, <laughs> like the connection is forming between them and they're talking and whatever. And then it's like it was sort of a rug pull moment for oh, me every time. I and, but that is those, that is know? the 100 percent the point. And I think it's designed to be, but it's it's still like, ugh. But I think your footing on something. Is, I don't, and that's yeah. the thing is like where I where I when I'm sitting here and appreciating is the fact that like the ground underneath me is rocking all the time. There is no mm-hmm. certainty in this film. Any character that I can start liking could be off in a second. Like even the guy, like the the lieutenant person at the end of the movie, who is kind of like not very smart, making a lot of poor choices, being a company man, even though he shouldn't be trusted. Oh, in the company. Yeah, essentially. He, yeah then gets killed at the very end, even though he's got a wife and kids at back home to everything. Like he is even yeah. off. Like the guy who yeah. survives at the very end is a dude who is never on board with the plan. And for all intents and purposes, like hates Ripley until the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And he's yeah. the one that survives. And my point, I think the point of the movie is like, is a bit of nihilism. It's pure nihilism, which is a big theme in David Fincher's works. And I think suits, very well to a world where xenomorphs exist because xenomorphs are nihilistic beings. Like they kill everything, not for food, not for hunger, just to kill it. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it like fits naturally within this world that they've created. Oh yeah. It's just, I'm, I don't know what it is. It's just like you, the third movie usually isn't like that or something, <laughs> but it, like, it's like, Hey, we got to Where's the dark middle chapter. It's like, Oh, we got it right here for you. It's like, what, why is it here? Well, like, no, it's but just, it's like, you got to think like about a nasty it, surprise. They had, the, yeah. to be fair, it had an exact opposite structure to what you're saying. It had a yeah. light middle chapter and a dark opening and closing. Ripley's story yeah. was always going to yeah. end, was always going to end like with her. It's ended in misery. And then you get this weird movie. <laughs> Yeah, like, that's the thing. The movie opens... Like, hey, I feel empowered. Like, I killed that thing. Yeah. I rescued these people. 100%. I did it. And then three is just, like, flipping that off in the first minute. No, no, no. But, like, but that's not flipping it yeah. off because it, it lines up with the first movie. The first movie, two stars Tom Skerritt. Tom Skerritt was yeah. the star of the first film. And he is dead halfway through the film, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Sigourney Weaver pivots to be the main character halfway through the movie. Like right, this like she who's who survives. Alien like emerges the, from the, the difference clue. is that yeah. you, we don't really care too much for Tom Scare because he's kind of a sexist, whereas we like Ripley, so we're okay with her pivoting. Alien three, we start to like Charles Dance, and then yeah. he is killed. Like in yeah, the yeah. scene where we hear his backstory and we finally understand him as a character, he dies. That's kind of like the point though of this third film is like in this world where the xenomorph exists, there is no hope. Because the xenomorph creates a hopeless world. And that's mm-hmm. why Ripley has to die. And her death is a beautiful thing at the end. Uh, because like, and it's done in, in fire. But because she has to bring hope back into the world 
by killing the xenomorphs. Like there is now hope in an existence, not nihilistic because you can go about your life and sure you might die on a whim, but at least there's not a xenomorph out there that just wants to kill you for no reason whatsoever. Okay. So it's like death on her own terms and like death is saving. I think it's saying something of that. Death is not an end. Like it is not the negative end to this movie. It is her way out of a life of like her terrible life. (laughs) I guess it, Oh, it's just tough to be around that emotional energy. Oh, sure. I guess for a no, movie, no. it's yeah. I totally agree with you. Like suicidal Ripley is way less fun. <laughs> cool. No, no. Yeah. I, but that's the thing. I'm not going to sit here and make an argument that like Alien Three is more fun than Aliens because it's not. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, I think what they're trying to do. I'm like I'm getting more and more as I watch it, and I'm like it makes sense to me because even when we get into Ridley Scott's prequel films, like mm-hmm. David, we start to learn about why David's creating these xenomorphs. They are just for pure destruction. Like they have no purpose aside from just murdering things. Like they don't want to eat them. They'll, they'll sure they'll eat them if they can, but they just want to kill everything. Mm-hmm. And so there is a nihilistic attitude towards these creatures and the way that they've been creating as weapons. So they pick this thread up in the third film quite, and it's been there like the whole time. And I think, like, that is actually what David Fincher's film is. I think all the uh, niceties that happen around it is where the studio interference comes in. I think Ripley oh. I think Ripley dies at the end because that's what Sigourney Weaver wanted, and she fought for that. Okay. What are the niceties around it, like, in 3? <laughs> what are the niceties around like, it? I, like, I was like, I don't know, like, you get a dog dying real early, and I'm not even a that's, dog guy. To be fair, that, like, is, uh, that was studio in- interference, right? Because it was originally Oh, right, ox. it was supposed to be a cow. An ox, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah because they wanted a slicker, a sleeker alien. Um, and they just didn't, nobody, they were like, visually speaking, the ox is lame. And I'm like, okay, so that's fine. But anyways. Um, mm-hmm. You get, like, Bishop, like, please turn me off. I don't want to exist anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. like, there's just kind of this, like... Ugh, like heavy size every 10 minutes is like the goal or something and it's just like uh i gotta i gotta have a, a nice beverage or i gotta bail out like this like, is so heavy. i think that's the thing is like it's that's like it's just such an industrial movie <laughs> like there's like a rusty yes i don't know like there's things i like about it like theoretically like that they kind of combined the like religious order and prison ideas they had rolling around mm-hmm. into this like we are technically not prisoners anymore, but we're committed to stay here. Yeah. Like we don't, we don't think we're pure anymore. Like, so we're going to isolate ourselves. Like there's, and then like Charles S. Dutton gets to do some like pretty cool stuff. Oh, and Charles is a good speech. Charles S. Dutton, you know, like commands himself pretty, pretty effectively in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like anything. there's things, there's little things here that are like, no, it's interesting. Like it's well presented. I, there's a lot of low angles for me that I didn't love. Yeah, well, I, I put that up to specifically. There's one shot where Charles Dance has his head tipped as the mm-hmm. the warden comes and talks to him. That I'm like, I don't understand this shot choice. But like, I also are you making him sinister? Yeah. But I also like think that's just David Fincher being fresh. Like, there's a lot of David Fincher things that make sense. Like, I hear in an original cut. I wrote an I read an original cut that the newt scene, the um, autopsy scene, was far more yeah. graphic. I actually think that, like, the choices that they made in that film make more sense to who Fincher is. Like, you see more in little glimpses than you do in 
just seeing it like just explicitly like rob zombie style it's just there yeah like you get to see more horror in like uh charles dance wiping all this blood on his chest than you do in like a little girl's chest being like displayed open type of thing i I think it is longer in the assembly cut i've definitely seen it once anyway yeah but Um, yeah but even then there's like so okay I love the music in this movie. It's like the music that actually can sit. It sits most prominently in my mind when I think of alien music. It is very different. It's not. It's not the James Horner like big bombastic business. That but you it get is in bombastic aliens. in like emotional ways. I feel like it's emotionally bombastic. Oh, okay. um, it mm-hmm. creates like when she dies, it has these like crescendos that like I'm really enjoying. And then, and then the shot that immediately comes afterwards of just like of the industry shutting down and just showing you like this is what she died for. Like, was this like stainless steel, nothing like it's, it is super like nihilistic. One, six, one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I can't sit here and Nathan and tell you that like, it's not nihilistic. I, I really, I really see what you're saying. And it is like a heavy movie to sit and have to watch, especially immediately after watching aliens, which is, is doing the exact opposite. But actually mm. I think your idea of a trilogy makes a lot of sense to me, but here's the thing. I think, the movie is pointing out that this world that they live in, whether it's you can have a positive story in the previous one or not, is a nihilistic world because the xenomorph exists. But the bittersweet ending comes at the end with Ripley saving all of humanity by yeah. t- killing herself. And there's a bittersweetness to that because obviously Ripley's dead and she's lived a hard life and she's been punished after punish after punish. But when you have Messiah characters throughout all of... Um, media stories and all this stuff, they die despite themselves. And that's what makes them Messiah characters. It's not about a happily ever after for Messiah characters. They don't end that way. That's not how the story goes. Ripley is a Messiah character. She's saving humanity by killing herself. Mm -hmm. And so there's that bittersweetness to that story. And that's the thing I find beautiful. Is it as fun as aliens? No. Is it, uh, like as good as alien, not in the slightest, but like, I appreciate the narrative threads that they pull on throughout this film. And I just don't think it is as bad as people say it is, is really my big point. Okay. Like, I think it's the, like I was trying to, it, I felt bad even feeling it. Cause it was like, you know, people grieve in different ways or whatever. And maybe I'm like judging how, Ripley's not being transparent about her feelings to like Clemens or anybody Mm -hmm. like she's really bottled up in this movie in a way that was like frustrating it was just like just tell them about the aliens like what's the problem like I was just getting like what why is this suddenly a secret because and I was trying to rationalize like it's is it because this is a company facility and she can't trust people with Paul Reiser anymore Paul Reiser like ruined her like this is a this is a man who could just be a company hack and it took her so right. long to eventually tell him and she did tell him but that's after she right. found that like she the, could trust him. the knowledge she has is too dangerous to trust with anybody is i guess the internal logic oh for right? sure if if they're pulling up yeah. her file if they find out who she is and she's realizing that they don't know about her story then she knows yeah. that she has to be very careful what information they feed her because of that thing you're talking about like how the company can find out about stuff Regardless. The second the company finds out that there's an embryo here, then we're toast or whatever. Yeah, they're going to get here that. faster yeah. or something like that, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> Which th- there was a moment in the movie where it sort of has that editing thing we were talking about with the tension like being artificially enhanced. And I was really thrown by it because they were saying like, 
medvac team on the way two hours yeah and i was like two hours like that didn't feel like all of the planning and the things they did in the subsequent part of the movie could be happening in two hours oh sure you okay. know yeah yeah there there was that kind of like like getting the well, oil we're gonna the try lead, to lure it into the, the lead pistons thing ready is what this. you're saying yeah, yeah, it just. But then, to be fair, like the thing on the screen and the time spent working but didn't seem to like. To be jive. fair, like the, I would say like out of those two hours, an, an hour and fifty minutes went by, and then the chase through the hallway started happening. Sure, and maybe that's just till they're in orbit or something, because it also did this thing where like the menacing company people are like slowly coming during all the frantic action. Oh yeah, it reminded me of my least favorite like Interstellar stuff. Where it's like Casey Affleck is coming and he's got a tire on. Okay, but you in all fairness, out, in all fairness, Casey you know? Affleck doesn't actually pose a real threat to that actual narrative story. Whereas the company yeah. men do because if they show up, well, yeah, they will yeah. kill all of the guards downstairs and then try to capture the alien themselves. Right. There's a real menace yes. to what they're up to. But, but to be yeah, fair, the company it, men it just threw me in that space. The company men yeah. don't know what they're trying to do. They're just trying to get mm. it done before they show up. We're trying to get a sample or whatever. Well, yeah, no, they I don't, don't even know that they – like, that's why they're just walking because they don't know the prisoners are trying to kill it. Actively trying to kill it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or else they probably would have rushed more type of thing, right? Like, uh-huh. um, it's like a race for them to find out what's actually happening here because the lieutenant's going to share it with them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So just a couple of, like, very specific logistic ideas. I love the yeah. tunnel scene. I think the tunnel scene's actually really well done. Like while they're like running all, through them baiting yes. it through doors. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think it's like a well sequenced, good action scene. Like I think it's it's sort of disorienting, but it's sort of supposed to be because yeah. they're getting lost. Yes. Like yeah, it works out. I think it's just like it builds good tension. I think it's smart to have the <laughs> and, the first yeah. the first person camera shots are like really like well done that's the thing i like where i was saying like uh aliens probably had a big footprint on a bunch of video games i feel like the aliens versus predator video games probably took their predator first person mode from this movie okay (laughs) you know yeah yeah. like just the crawling upside down and all around kind of thing like it it's it's got that kind of that's how those games work gotcha these are not games i've ever played so i I played alien 3 as a kid on super nintendo that's all i played that's a real yeah that's a good game <laughs> but uh um yeah yeah i don't know i just i like that sequence quite a bit i like what they do with charles dance like i know it sucks because i really like charles dance but like it creates one of the most like unshakable moments in this movie that really kind of gets you ready for the last act where every single character you might care about does die mm-hmm. including the main character who at the end chooses Did- that's the thing about like ripley like she chooses her death too right it's not being forced upon her she jumps before like the the queen coming out of her chest is going to kill her no matter what she chooses to kill herself before the alien yeah. pops out of her chest and then she do still they, embraces do, it do they establish it's a queen in this movie she or? she says yeah so she says um she says it must be a queen because when she goes down to face the xenomorph oh. she comes back to charles dutton and he's like he's not going to kill me it must be a queen type of thing. Oh, okay. Like it's not just like it's another one of me, so I won't kill it. Yeah, it's I think like she comes to the conclusion to the queen. She yeah. comes to the conclusion that for whatever reason, wherever this xenomorph came from, is not viable organism to create a queen. Ah. And she is a viable organism because obviously humans can create queens, type of thing. Okay. 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 Can so I can I tell you a controversial the... opinion? Yeah. 
I think the queen concept and idea is not good. Okay. Why? Because I I actually never had a problem with it, uh, and it's a key part of resurrection also. Oh, it's a huge so, part of resurrection. And it's yeah. I think it's also part of, like, it's... I've always kind of, like, I thought it was, like, I thought it was a cool idea when I first saw it, and then Ridley started making his prequel films, and I was like, oh, yeah, we don't need the queen. This is not about the species propagating itself. It's about uh-huh. men using, people using these species to kill other things. Those <sighs> eggs are all from David, not from a queen species. So unless we're expected that they evolved within that very short time frame. Doesn't the whole prequel timeline of like humans basically bioweaponing these things prior to these original movies totally ruin everything? Because like... Yes. Wayland Utani wants them for their weapons division. Why wouldn't they just be like, oh, never mind. We have millions of these because David made them. And because they don't know about and... David. They don't know okay. about what he's doing. He's just a rogue element don't at you, that like, juncture. Yeah, like, so at the end of Prometheus, he goes off into space. Is it at the end of Prometheus or Alien Covenant? So at the end like, of Prometheus, he's going off into space to find the engineers, and he decides to kill the engineers, we learn this, in their home planet. As a head... Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then on that planet by himself, he then creates and starts morphing these. He finds out about the engineer's plan to create these species. He perfects it. And then he gets on the covenant and with this ship going through space to a new planet, starts experimenting on them and is going to create a new colony of xenomorphs. Yeah. Wayland Utani don't know about these things because they're dead before any of them get introduced. So okay. Wayland Utani first learns about it. Uh, or and that might even hint at why several centuries happen over the course of these four films, even. But I mean, so, like, yeah, there might be. Uh, there's a reason why Waylon Utani gets excited about what's happening on the Nostromo in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Like, why would they be excited other than they found the thing that they may be looking for all along secretly? So they know about or David's just something experiment. potentially valuable, or they know I, about I David's guess. experiments, type of thing. I yeah. think really Scott wanted us to ask questions about who the space. Uh, jockey, jockey was from like day one mm-hmm. and nobody once picked that thread until he came back around to it okay so I think he always saw the eggs as being fully engineered like by people by like in, intelligent beings not by like a queen being birthed I think that's full like not a not a species that's just basically like super space ants or something yeah like I think that's a like... that is part of the uh, James Cameron at addition to the lore and Ridley Scott right. clearly got rid of it because we have a xenomorph in, in Covenant, full xenomorph, and there's no queen. Uh, I don't know. It's really big. It I is. That's cool. It is. Have a boss okay. monster at the so end of the movie. So can I ask you a question? <laughs> you, know. we, you and I walked yeah. out of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, especially Force Awakens, a little frustrated yeah. that all they did was took some things from the... Bigger Death Star and... Well, like, they just hey, took it and they that. it's like they wrote their own script and they said times 10, like the Death Star, but times 10. It's a death planet now. Which is really funny to me, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. but we kind of we kind of like put strikes against it. How come it's okay in this movie, but not necessarily okay in, in Force Awakens? Just in your opinion. I to, I think, I wait, think they're which, equal Oh, like mind. which movie goes bigger and... Oh, like aliens going like... No, I'm saying plural. why is it okay for aliens to go bigger as a concept 
versus why, and then it's not okay for Force Awakens to do the same thing. I mean, it's like movie two versus movie seven, so <laughs> that's fair. A little okay there, but uh, I kind of, I just, I like the dilemma of the base under siege. Like that's an okay notion. Yeah. Like that's you know. I think uh, I think the big difference is between you and I, and it sounds like just from the narrative that we're speaking. Uh, I'm not as big of a video game person as you are. And I think there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of video oh, game. Oh, there's there's a lot it. of video game harmony with this for sure. Yeah. yeah, like there's the you know, like they kind of in three be like we have 25 prisoners here. Like there you could do a survival game in this scenario yes. too. Yeah, in three, like it's it's solid <laughs> framework, but it would be a different game. Yeah, it would be a different because uh, you only have one threat. Right, yes. is is the one. Uh, which were two eggs laid or did the same creature do two aliens? Like that, that was also a thing. I wasn't clear. It wasn't eggs laid. It was just face huggers that came on board type of thing from. So there was two face huggers. Yes. Cause or... one that latched onto okay. the dog and then one that had already latched on to Ripley. Ripley at that point yeah. caused the fire. Okay. I guess. Uh, but I don't know. I, that wasn't my primary like issue with the sequel trilogy. Actually, it wasn't even the first movie because it was like harmless nostalgia bait to me. Yeah, uh, it's when they started trying to do other things. Oh no no no! no. Okay, uh, yeah. Without getting yeah. into Last Jedi, I just came out of yeah. Force Awakens frustrated with nostalgia bait because we just got a prequel trilogy that did very little nostalgia bait, and when it did nostalgia bait, it was like upping the ante rather than just taking the same thing and making it bigger. Oh sure, the prequels aren't like pointing all the time three does because it has to tie it together yeah right narratively but, speaking it's pointing but it's not pointing in a, like uh it's pointing in like in a in a way that you would match the film uh, and say it's like it's the yeah synonymous. i'm trying to think is yoda doing cool things nostalgia bait or is it just cool that's what i'm trying to say he didn't get to no, do no, that's that, what i'm right? saying like he's up in the ante <laughs> yeah because he's saying like but it's still something new because yoda doesn't do that at he, all he was old and he never did that yeah there but was he was no still old that... to be fair in this movie he just we didn't know he could do it. Is the big oh, he's thing. a spry eight hundred and sixty. So, <laughs> but my point is, like, he George Lucas is not doing nostalgia bait in that in the same way because he's adding to the lore rather than just taking the lore and saying this, but this. Right. But anyways, it's fine. We don't need to get into that. Yeah, but no. my point is, like, I don't need mm-hmm. a bigger queen. I don't need a bigger xenomorph or many xenomorph to be scared of them. I thought I watched the first movie and I thought the first just one xenomorph was scary all on its own. Does, does isn't there a problem with all of a sudden they're not scary when there's a whole army of them and an even bigger one and they're able to take them down? Right. Here here here's a, here's like a thing with if we're getting like controversial with stuff. Like I felt the first alien has almost the same problem we were talking about with the Freddy movies where it's like such a remote space that isn't like anything you exist in mm-hmm. that it's not actually scary. Oh, okay. Like I wasn't ever really like scared by the first movie. Sure. It was just a cool atmospheric spaceship dilemma movie. Okay. Like it wasn't really like Harry, Harry Dean Stanton in the chains and everything. It's like, what is this crazy chain room? Like, what is this? Like it like, and I'm more concerned about Jonesy at that point, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the cat, you know, like it's just kind of, okay, I guess most of the, like there, there's the pipe stuff and like the motion tracking and everything, but that's like almost the tension thriller stuff. Sure. More, but that you is know? what you, but thriller like when I guess we there's, watch a, a, there's film, a jump with Dallas, right? Yeah. Like where he turns and the fire. Yes, that's 100% the like, scene I was thinking in my head where I was like, for me, it's yeah. like the setting is a cool setting. But at the end of the day, the reason why we're, why it's a horror film is that it's still people. And even though it's yeah. in a, it's in a setting that we've never been into, 
people in peril is the point of horror, right? It's like people surviving peril. Um, yeah. And horror and but thriller like, are like deeply connected. They're just mm-hmm. horror and thriller are deeply connected. It's just whether or not, what is the cause of the, of the thrilling in thrillers is typically just a dude who is hunting you down in a very realistic way. Where in horror, it's like supernatural alien, Un, un, like unknowable, unknowable type of concept, and that's what makes the difference between the two. Um, right. I guess it's where we're like, like Scream is a thriller because it's just some murder man. Yeah. But like, but it's the it sits Friday within 13th the movies are like a supernatural entity past a point. Yeah. Where like Scream is like <laughs> Scream's actually a great example where people like, whoa, is it a thriller or a horror movie? Because it's it is very clearly trying to be a horror movie, but it has all the thriller motifs to it because it's just people. Like, there's nothing right. crazy about it. Um, a little bit of mystery in there, yeah. But, like, so yeah. for me, the horror comes in, like, I don't want to see these characters die. Like, I want to see them survive. For me, like, the horror comes in, the best scene for me, like, the two that I love are, like, the one who was Tom Scared in the tunnels with the, the flashing flames, and then all of a sudden, boom, we see the Xenomorph. Uh, it comes in yeah. Ripley and the real climax of the film, where she's escaped. She finds out it's there, and then she's slowly trying to get into the thing and not rustle it. Like that caused uh, me a lot of tension because I wanted Ripley to survive as a right. character. So like, I guess horror movies, I never really saw alien as a horror film because I think, I think it's trying to do more than that. I think there's a lot of thrilling sequences to it, but I think it, it's trying to tell us about things. Like, yeah, you, you don't want to boil it down to like, well, she's the last girl and yeah. you know, whatever. It's basically that, but and, it, it can be, but it's, it can yeah. be, it just, but I think that's, what's nice about the, when we talk about genre, I think there's movies that exist within genre that proves that genre shouldn't just be relegated to the corners. Like mm. Aliens, one of those movies, like it is a horror film. It is a space horror film. And it's but it's also the reason why it shouldn't be relegated to the corner and just say, Oh, it's a genre film. Like it's just it just ignore it. It's like, well, no, genre films can still make art and still make things beautiful and still make things like good, like 2001 space odyssey or blade runner, or like there's movies that exist in the genre world that can be amazing films and like Mm -hmm. say something about something and be considered art. And alien is in my mind, one of those. Yeah. I, I like, I guess if I was going to like try to elevate aliens to anything like her asserting herself in the male space of the Marines and everything was cool to see. Like, it's just, it's just that kind of, like, I know he, he kind of puts her in a box of, like, maternal stuff, yeah. but, like, there's still an element of just, like, you know, your mom could be cool, like, you know, oh, yeah. you're just no, no, kind no. of, like, I, her I, curly I de- hair and just, like, I definitely she's agree with you. stuff, you know? I definitely yeah. agree with you, like, she, that is the one thing I did appreciate more this time around was that James Cameron, like, got her to, in a very clever way, like, very well-written way, turn out like win over all the Marines by just being Ripley. Like she didn't have to do anything mm-hmm. amazing. She just had to continue to be Ripley, like to be smart and fearless and like brave. And that's what won these Marines over, right? Like these tough, rugged yeah, Marines. Yeah. I, I totally agree yeah. with you on that. I just think that smart, fearless, brave stuff. Like when you talk about Newt, not her, not mourning Newt's death. I think that's just because like, again, she's, she can't let herself do those things because she has, she's in a real situation where she has to figure out what the threat is because yeah. she, in her mind, she's like, I have to be brave and move forward. It has to be less of myself. Like she, like in all the movies, she could have just gone to the corner and cried and just quit. But the, what proves that what's nice about Ripley is that she, <laughs> she, uh, 
continues to show that she can make the right choice despite herself. So the morning stuff that you're talking about, the little scenes we get of her breaking down crying is I think all yeah. that she could allow herself to mourn because she had a job to do. And that's like, stop these well, things. And, and she still has to survive in this new threatening environment with all these murderers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can't really just be vulnerable there, but especially yeah, with people it, that she just... can't trust. Like she doesn't necessarily know she can trust Charles dance in the scene. He's a creep up until that point. He's, sure. he's wide eyed yes. and kind of acting all weird and creepy. Mm-hmm. And you're like, something's off no, about this it, dude. Yeah. It, it, it's a tough like pill to swallow a bit, but it's, it sort of makes sense. Like logistically why you'd have to write it that way. It's just, especially if you decide to tone kill shift. Oh I yes. Guess. Like I know I, I like tone shifts in the same movie, but like across a series, that's like three different creators at this po- juncture. Like there's just kind of, different vibes over the course of it and to like end on a bleak vibe is just like what a what a way to well to be fair this is uh return of the jedi we're fist pumping (laughs) we're having a great time but no no, but okay (laughs) but here's the thing like yeah this is uh there are two trilogies that we can really compare this to you compared it to the original trilogy but in the prequel trilogy is exactly this format oh sure the bad guys win in the first movie yeah. Like the emperor all of a sudden has his eyes on a brand new apprentice that will bring suffering to the universe. Then the yeah. bad guys win. I mean, the good guys win in the second film. Like the Clone Wars has started, but they beat the like they pushed back the the Republic. And then the third movie ends with like Anakin Skywalker killing younglings. Like that is the yeah. end of that movie. Like the emperor has his like new super weapon and yeah, yeah and it's, Pal- it's not... like Padme dies. Like a main character dies. At the end of the third movie, like bleak endings doesn't necessarily mean like it's like I know what you're saying. It is a different, totally different pill to swallow, and I can't argue that. Like it totally is. If it's not your cup of tea, I totally get it. But I yeah. think you're right that like they made a choice to kill Newt and Hicks. Whatever reason they made that choice, fine, okay, cool. But because mm-hmm. they made that choice, this is kind of the world that they live in, and I believe that that is how Ripley would have acted in this situation, I think I saw her mourn. Like she like breaks down and holds herself back many times around the idea of Newt. And then she becomes deeply suicidal. Like there is no escaping for her in this movie. She doesn't see herself living happily ever after. There's only one way but the end. And like that. And then, so the strength that she finds throughout the film is like the weakness, like where she cried, where she could have crawled up into the corner and just cried is by killing herself early. And, like, Charles yeah. S. Dutton many times has to, like, hoist her up and say, no, you're not dying yet. Like, you have to be the hero we still. We need you to fight this thing. Yeah, we need you to be yeah. the hero still. And she reminds herself that she needs to be – she's the one who can be the hero. Like, not mm-hmm. these men. She can be the hero. And I kind of like that imagery. Like, that imagery of, like, there's something empowering about, like, Sigourney Weaver cutting off her hair, showing up and saving a prison full of men. And they're like, you got to do it. We can't. We actually can't. Yeah. I don't know. I think the, 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 I brought up the curly hair thing briefly. Just like my mom had a bunch of perms in like <laughs> yeah. the nineties. So yeah. it's just kind of like this, you know, my mom being tough and taking charge is just this sure. weird, like that never gets to be in a movie, Yeah, <laughs> you know? But which so. Is, okay. So this is the other thing I can't, I don't, I don't know how I feel. So there's a sexuality, yeah. like there's a feminine sexuality to her in the first and third films. Like, even though she shades her head, there's still like, yeah. she wants to have sex. And the first film, there is like, and choices that Ridley Scott makes in filming her that show her as like 
potentially had an affair with uh, Tom Skerritt. She likes with to Dallas, wear, yeah. yeah, like she likes to wear clothes that like are a little bit more revealing. Like there's a femininity to her character as a whole. The second movie mm-hmm. doesn't do that in the slightest. Like there's no femininity to her. You're right. Like she does look like all of a sudden out of nowhere a mom. Even though she went to bed kind of like as a like a, an attractive <laughs> young lady, she woke up as a mom in yeah. the future. And it's like, whoa, but Sigourney Weaver like still would go on to become like 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 one year after this she makes Working Girl and she's like mm-hmm. a su- sultry seductress like power hungry woman in that movie. And you're like, well, Sigourney yeah, yeah. Weaver can still not be a mom character, but James Cameron writes her as a mom, and then all of a sudden David Fincher reminds us, like, no, she's still a woman, guys. She's still, like, in her, theoretically, in her late 20s. <laughs> yeah, Sigourney aging well really helps the oh, dozen years 100%. of, like, that went by <laughs> in real life. Problems. Yeah, 14 yeah. years, I think, actually, between the first and the third. Okay, so oh, like completion, yeah, yeah. Well, filming. the, the yeah. studio one hundred percent agrees with you about like this being a sad conclusion because the quickest sequel turnaround is between three and four out of all the uh, but, out of all the other. But gaps. it's still like five years. But yeah, it's yeah. still so quick because it's it's is it five years? Because then then it's then it's six years between two and three. Yeah, it's ninety or eighty six to ninety two, and then ninety two to ninety seven. Yeah, okay. so it just. Just take a while <laughs> to figure these out. Well, I guess. but I think I think four yeah. actually was like not going to happen, and then they decided. Like I don't think it went into active development right away. I think they saw it as the end of the. No, game. yeah, and then like with that's the that that was like where I was getting to the pragmatism of uh, like in a draft that exists, Hicks is totally alive, and William Gibson wrote this movie about a weird space mall and all this. Well, nonsense no, no, but did you hear like about this movie? I don't want to see this movie. This movie was yeah, like I know. I'm not, I'm not saying like. Sigourney yeah. Weaver is like stuck in her like sleep capsule and she's absent throughout the entire film and it's just a Hicks <laughs> film. And I'm like, that sounds terrible. I don't want a Hicks it's like film. Michael Bien fans the world over were stoked about this draft, I you guess guys. So. But it, whatever. There's a reason yeah, why James Cameron, I don't know, man. Like, I know you like Michael Bien and I don't want to disparage him, but like, oh, there's a reason why is limited. <laughs> only James Cameron was like this guy. This guy right here. Only James Cameron. But this is James Cameron who also is like Sam Worthington, this guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Sam Worthington of the 80s. Uh, It's just Predator, like our Terminator affection and stuff, like spilling around. I get it because he's in all these movies that we like because he's in Terminator. He's in uh, Aliens. He's in The Abyss. Abyss. Like he's in these James Cameron films being these great characters. I totally get what you're saying. But, like, that's his wheelhouse is James Cameron films. And then as yeah. soon as he leaves that, it's like it falls apart for him. But the point is, it's just, like, drafts were happening. Yeah. Oh, sure. Writers were taking cracks at it. But you got to remember, like, were going on this whole time. The closest. Like, it wasn't like Ghostbusters 2 where there was, like, three years or so where, like, Harold and Dan were just like, nah. We don't oh, have sure, any sure. ideas. No, I know what you're saying. Like it's just like no, we were taking swings at it no, and no. coming up. The with closest weird they came notions. was you should watch the documentary on Alien Three, whatever you have, quadrilogy thing. I have at some point. Like the story behind the movie is is pretty. Oh yeah, the Vincent Ward movie was Hollywood like craziness. The Vincent yeah. Ward movie was legit, like in production. Like they were building sets. Oh, our buddy Rennie Harlan was supposed to do this. Yeah, for a before while. <laughs> before Vincent Ward showed up, Vincent Ward came on with this like wood planet filled with yeah, monks. Yeah. And, like, there's going to be an alien set free. And they legit were like, that's the movie we're making. They started building sets. And then at the last second, the studio was like, we don't like this. Vincent Ward quit. 
David Fincher gets hired on to make this like brand new movie that like it's written at the last second by David Geiler and Walter Hill, and he has to incorporate the sets that they built for the previous film. Like so, the <laughs> sets that we see, the industrial ones, were wood sets that they just threw. They threw sets. like metal paint on and chains on, and like to make it more industrial to match like what David Fincher was making at the time, like Nine Inch Nails, like type music yeah, videos, yeah. right? Um, yeah, that was a thing. Like that was the the part of it. So, like I totally get the David Fincher argument. Like the David Fincher argument is probably in my mind the strongest anti Alien Three argument. But for him, is his own discounting of the movie. No, no, because for him, and it's like you got to remember, like it's not just him. It's not. It's maybe not just him discounting the movie as like not a good movie. He has so much personal hurt attached to that film that he can't consider it as a film in his life, like as an important film. Yeah, like he he didn't want to revisit it to edit a special edition or anything. Like it's it's just his rough introduction to Hollywood, like wrangling and whatever but that like being said there's a yeah. producer on this film that produced seven and like i hear the biggest okay there's this guy who often like he was a producer in the film didn't work for fox but like often was really frustrated with fox with their like meddling was like yeah. years later he's like this guy still got talent and he hired him for seven uh there's also an anecdote about sigourney reaver really going to bat for him oh 100 percent. like cool. the, the yeah. choices like the nihilistic choices in that movie wouldn't have happened i don't think without sigourney weaver batting for like david fincher's choices uh-huh like i think in fox's version like sigourney would live to fight another day like of course she would which is yeah like having two movies like even even two like having let's freeze her again for another thing yeah. is just kind of like, I mean, master chief would start doing that and whatever, yeah. like see you next adventure. Yeah. Got to go into the tube or whatever. Exactly. It's like, all right, like you're a survivor, but at some point this is absurd. That's the thing uh, is like, okay, so yeah. this, this correlates into a more recent history. Are you a supernatural fan? Uh, my wife is, and as such, uh, it's around me okay. a bunch. So I, <laughs> I'm yeah. not a Supernatural fan, but I really appreciate it. And I've never watched – I've watched the first season, but I haven't watched anything since. But I hear yeah. about fandom really being upset with the final episode of the entire show. Yeah, so that, that has happened. The yeah. previous episode was like this big climatic ending to like years-long storytelling happening. Like there's a big epic thing, and they survive. Oh, their penultimate episode. Yeah, okay. penultimate episode. Then the – Final, the finale was just a one-off monster of the week uh, episode, like going back to hearken to the early days. Uh, and okay. then through this monster of the week thing, uh, Jensen Eccles' brother, the brother, uh, Winchester, dies and okay. is killed. And the whole point of it was just trying to show that like these characters still – like they survived all this stuff, but they still exist in the real world where mista- a simple mistake can get made and somebody dies. And that was their kind of point was like he gets escorted to heaven like he's in heaven like that's part of their mythology so he's fine like he gets a happy ending in the sense that he goes to heaven and we see him go into heaven and stuff like sure, that because yeah. it's supernatural. But, but people are still upset. But people were very the, upset because they're like oh I should yeah. have ended on the penultimate episode and I'm like no I kind of like the idea that like at the end of the day these are, we still have to remember that like if we want to – what we love about these characters is that they're human like – there's something about like why if Superman was just an alien super god, he would be a godlike character, and we have to have Clark Kent to make him human. Like he has to have vulnerabilities. Right. Like at some point, you'd be so alienated by it if it's just like him, like a million years from now, yeah. and he's still alive, still alive, or something. and, and like, like ruling this world. Like that's a yeah. godlike character. 
all of the characters yeah. that we love, there has to be a sense of mortality to them. Like there has to be. Well, or, like whatever. That's like Doctor Manhattan or whatever. Yeah. Like it's just like how not like you, Doctor Manhattan is. Well, and, and he's and, not and Alan Moore, anything the same. Yeah, Alan Moore writes him as yeah. like a post-human person who's like trying to wrestle with his humanness, and then through his entire journey in this movie of that book, sorry, is him beca- like fully getting over his past humanness. He's not a human anymore, and that is the he's ending. transcended. Yeah, completely. Because that's yeah, when he yeah. kills uh, Rorschach. Like, he literally kills Rorschach, and he's like, that's the moment where he's like, oh, I'm not a human anymore. Adrian Veidt this makes sense. This has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. if he was still a human, there would be, uh, he probably would have with Rorschach because it's wrong. Right. If you just saw Superman, like, no longer being bound by morals or anything, yeah. it would just be like, this is so odd. Yeah. I can't. Well, you, know. you just wouldn't care about like, him in the same way. You don't want way. Christopher Reeve to do that. No, exactly. And like, yeah. you just wouldn't care about him in the same way because you yeah. need a bit of humanity. So my argument is just like that Ripley's humanity kind of comes and shines through finally in this film because mortality right. is part of humanity. Whether we like it or not, mortality is part of humanity. Yeah. Or like two, you get the pretty safe track of like hero becomes more heroic and more <laughs> strong and more <laughs> confident. And you're like, yeah, that could be me yeah. <laughs> or something. Whereas this is like, oh, this person's totally gutted and is just like done now. And it's just like, that's really sad. I don't love seeing that. But it's like a more dramatic arc, really. Yeah. Like so much more changes in that person. Uh, and then they're gone. Until some really creative writing <laughs> comes into four. Oh man, Alien yeah. Resurrection. Shit. Okay. Well, like, what a what a great fan film. I don't know. <laughs> but like a by, yeah. but like made by a man who wasn't a fan of the films. Like that's the thing about. Oh. The, like no, I mean like I yeah. I'm, I don't know that to be real or not. He was just like trying to put his own stamp on it, and it's the weirdest stamp. It's like let's give like a French foreign like experimental filmmaker like kind of kind of well regarded like well he artiste. went on he went on to make amelie he hadn't made amelie yet no but like delicatessen sure. and stuff has some clout oh, but yeah, yeah yeah but like here's a here's let's give like City a, a full Children. yeah like theoret like a uh a experimental filmmaker from france to make a big american blockbuster and he did exactly yeah. what you should expect him to do Got real weird. With it. <laughs> Got real weird with that. That sequence yeah. where Ridley is being like carried by the queen and like all the pulsating slime and her rubbing softly the alien and like the birthing Incredible. sequence was just like, what is this movie we fell ourselves into? And then Ron Perlman shows up and he's the only guy dropping one-liners and you're like, what is movie is it's he? Like we in? got we got some of that too. We want that <laughs> Hicks shotgun action. Yeah, you're just like, what movie are we in right now? Because clearly this was like Joss Whedon pumped up, but it's not clearly an original idea from him. I don't think that's true. Oh boy, what I a, think he punched yeah. that script up a bit. But anyways, mm-hmm. I do want to watch it again. I, since watching the, these two and three, I was like, I should watch Alien Resurrection. It's been a while. And as a kid, yeah. I went and saw them in theaters, and I had a blast. So Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't know. Final thoughts, I guess. Like, uh, maybe that was the final thoughts segment. but Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> I don't think, like, I'm not trying to disparage. I do like Aliens. I just, like, wanted at some sort of platform to talk about Alien 3. Because I think mm-hmm. I think I get I totally get what you're saying, but I think because of that, people are like, "Oh, this isn't what I want," and I'm like, "Okay, that's fine. It's not what you want, but it's still good, though. I think it's doing something smart, and I think it's doing something like you might not like it, yeah, but it's still I, there." 
and I don't want to do like a genre snob or like Aegis thing or something where it's like Aliens is like the best one for kids. Uh, <laughs> once you, if you want like an adult movie, uh, there's other ones in the series that are more challenging. Like that sounds condescending, but it's like no, no. two is really like okay. just good, and you can watch it. Nathan and you I know, are and both like I still love watching it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nathan and I are not. We are not genre snobs. Like I, I no, I st- I maintain like two like aliens is like a nine out of 10. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, really there's nothing wrong like, with saying a movies for kids because there's many amazing films that are for kids like that. That's just accurate. Sure. Right. Like, and it, it really shouldn't be for kids. It's not, I know. but, but I know I'm what you're saying, saying like, like it's, it this plays is that to... era where there's like Robocop toys and stuff, yes. <laughs> you know, James Cameron is at the forefront uh, a Rambo, of this with like a Rambo Terminator cartoon show action figures, like Rambo yeah. cartoon show where it's just like, it's like Rambo got a cartoon so, show. <laughs> like a traumatized Vietnam veteran is going to go kill a bunch of people in Vietnam. Why is there a cartoon? <laughs> yeah. Why is there a cartoon? Like, that shouldn't. What is he taking on in that cartoon too? What is the villain? I you can't make, that shouldn't have ever happened. No, but it <laughs> like, but anyways, my, I, I, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not. It is not. I don't. I 100 agree with you. It's not condescending to say it is more of a movie for kids because at the end of the it's, day, it's just a simpler story. No, no. Yeah. Movies can exist for entertainment purposes. All movies exist for entertainment. Period. It's just whether or not yeah. that movie also is trying to like be artistic and beautiful or just tell us a story. And there's nothing wrong with just telling us a story at all. Mm-hmm. So and have, make it and, and make it a movie that's fun. There's a there's a about... place. Honestly, Nathan. Uh, we're, yeah. I'm like a few days out from seeing fast nine. This is going to date us fast nine in theaters. And I'm so excited. I'm just, okay. I'm ready for so big, big bombastic genre business is fine. Yeah. A hundred percent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of the experiment. Like we, we wanted to have, I think we're going to try to have a little bit, few more one-off episodes. Yeah, we, we didn't really want to rank them. I feel like I want to briefly like, allude to something from our very first batch like in a similar vein with like the re- monster movie remakes we were like oh dude the thing right john carpenter's the thing yeah you know like that's a big one but if we were to put that in our ranking i feel it's just like well we got a consensus number one easy because that's a <laughs> yeah. great movie that we both love yeah. so we shouldn't do that but we would have done an episode kind of like this oh, sure. if we knew we could play with the format a little. Yeah, I think I think know. if we were to plunk an alien film into this like last batch we had, it probably would be Alien Four, <laughs> and nobody oh, would sure. agree with us. Like that's the thing. Like just take a swing at like the weirdest one. Yeah, but yeah, or something like that. Uh, yeah. Oh, do we want to do want to do a question bit? Yeah, first, like I, so the question I had for you, and I kind of like I I was actually going to ask you originally about your thoughts on um, Ridley Scott's prequel films because. They kind of change a yeah. lot of the genre, but we, we touched upon that. So the original question, uh, the, the new question that kind of came up while we were talking is, what is your opinion on the auteur theory? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm currently reading uh, William Goldman's book, uh, Adventures in Screenwriting. I'm just going to say that. He, he's the guy that kind of like put a, bu- a bug in my hat about maybe not going with hmm. the auteur theory. Yeah. Because since, since I took classes uh, at the university about film, that kind of got took root as just like oh that's a thing yeah. like authorial authorship of a movie like that like that's who at the end of the way. day is responsible for this film we just saw type of thing yeah right but it kind of just it it's a great way to like simplify a movie and like really mm-hmm. like oh that must be good because it's this guy and it's like that it wasn't the same writer though or like he collaborated with totally different people like this isn't really going to capture the same thing yeah i think um, i think so like I started appreciating more dimensions of like filmmaking, specifically the writers. Yes. Uh, cause their authorship is like 
really important. Like some recent examples, uh, Beetlejuice is like, oh, hey, Tim Burton. That's like his breakout movie. But the author of that movie, Michael McDowell, like he has all these great novels that are in that same kind of vibe. And like a lot of what you're appreciating in Beetlejuice is that guy. Mm -hmm. Like that's his jokes. That's his characters. Like maybe Bo Welch is bringing some awesomeness or whatever. Mm -hmm. I forget if they, he, he was the production designer on that one specifically, but like that crew of people is collaborating to make the Burton esque movies that I call that. Yes. Because he's got the biggest credit on the screen kind of thing, sure. you know? So it's just like casting nets, like, or like, or like, is it Karaszewski and Alexander, uh, their writing team that wrote Ed Wood, which is like my favorite Tim Burton movie. Mm -hmm. But like, maybe I should look at their other movies too, because they brought a lot to the table. It's not okay. just the author, you know what I'm saying? Actually, so, I'm, I'm kind of excited about this yeah. because for a long time I've been following screenwriters. Like I think I, I, I see screenwriters as like hugely impactful in the film that we see. Like Steve Cloves is one of my all time favorite screenwriters. He wrote all of the Harry Potter films except for the worst one. Uh, and okay. he also wrote Wonder Boys. He wrote Race in the Moon. He wrote, uh, oh man, what's the, the Fabulous Baker Boys? Like he, he writes like solid movies. But, like, he has a vein throughout all of those films that, like, mm -hmm. especially in his non-Harry uh, Potter films, um, he has a vein in all of them that, like, he brings, even though he's not directing all those movies, he still brings that vein sure, to it. sure, yeah. So, or like, I totally yeah. agree with you. Like, writers, I think, are are super important to the process. And that's why, like, like film period, like, so... Uh, what I kind of, what I'm trying to get at, I, have, I actually have two points here because I, I don't want to completely like dispose of the auteur theory. I think we yeah. too broadly label people as auteurs because like, like Fincher, we look at him, he has a style that he, no matter who his DOP is, we can tell it's a Fincher movie. But at the end of the day, you're right. Like there are still right. actors that show up. There are still writers that are going to write different movies for him, and well, he's going to pick like those. Someone piloting the ship towards a. Goal yeah, hundred percent. Like the idea, right? Yeah. Like, so I, I kind of want to hearken to our bringing out the dead conversation, where I did credit Scorsese with like pointing everyone in the same direction towards what happened. Yes, you know, because it. But you want to like credit all the collaborators because it's like little bit people, oh, or, like sure. the writers or, and or Nick and everybody. Martin Scorsese is not putting the words in the yeah. actor's mouth. Like that's the thing. Like that's a, that's no. a big part of me. Um, but you can still like. So the the early – like a part of the representation of auteur is when you like see it, you can tell like when they have a visual style that comes across or a style that comes across all their films. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's too uh, that's too broad of a, of a of a concept for auteur theory because a visual style comes with a lot of directors. So Tim Burton then would be an auteur and I don't think he's an auteur uh, at all actually. Um, the, the, the greatest example – Well, but he's easy to like point at and be like they all look and feel – like they all deal with – Oh, like no. That's what I'm trying to say. Like I, I think that's a false or whatever. definition of what an auteur theory is. Uh, yeah. I, I say the closest version of auteur that we have is like a Stanley Kubrick type, a person who demands so much control over all aspects of production. Like, mm -hmm. yes, there's many people that work for him and he does stuff, but he shows up and the precise detail, he pays attention to every aspect and writes his own movies and develops the right movies from scratch. Like, he's yeah. working with the screenwriters. There's a part of me that's like, okay, well, that's the version of auteur that we're talking about then. 
we I did a class that was uh, focused on Soderbergh, and like he's an interesting guy because like his movie, he's almost like very deliberately playing all over the map in terms of genre yes. and like subject matter. But then he is extremely involved in like shooting the movies himself. Peter Andrews, like Peter Andrews, yeah. yeah, and just like getting his like arms in deep in all of the creative elements. Often so writing like, the movie also under a pseudonym. Yeah, like it's it's like well these don't feel like the same story over and over like a Burton even yeah. like not to disparage because I I do like no, a no, lot no, of it's his nice movies. To, I, I'm not disparage again yeah because I love David yeah. Fincher I'm not disparaging having a visual style and sticking to that style like having a similar vibe no, to keep not happening at all or whatsoever something. yeah yeah um but yeah you're right Soderbergh doesn't have a style other than I would say the the closest thing you can describe to Soderbergh style is organic like he has a sense of realness to his movies. <laughs> Like, it's just, like, mm. a casual flow to his films. Like, when I think of Soderbergh, I think of just a movie that's, like, simply shot and executed well, effective. Like, even when you're somewhere outlandish like Solaris, you're still just kind of, like, hanging out with George Clooney, yeah. like, in his kitchen or whatever prior yeah. to that. And then just, like, yeah, this guy's listening to ICP on the space station and we're just <laughs> kind of here. <laughs> it's, like, the scenes I remember. Yeah, for sure. I'm just kind of grounding it in a sort of, like... No, it's just some guy on a space station. But it, but when you look <laughs> yeah. at uh, when you look at Stanley Kubrick's, especially in his like mid to late career, he yeah he has every like he developed projects from day one. Like he might get a screenwriter in to help him, but he's still working uh-huh. on the product at every single step of the way to the point where he's even editing it afterwards. Like he's he has even though he's hiring people to help him. You hear about this, yeah. the production stuff where he is so uh, precisely manipulating every aspect of the film he's making to the point where like he's yeah. 100% involved in the set design and the staging of scenes. and His, it, The meticulous – like I went to the exhibit at the in Los Angeles uh, about Kubrick mm-hmm. and like the moment of just like commitment and like he had a giant filing cabinet with like every day of Napoleon's life. Yes. And he didn't even get to make that. No, he didn't even get to make that. And like, we're, they're still working on his preparation and like research phase was so deep. It's like, okay. Like I, I can't imagine he's not getting in everybody's ear on that set. And like, no, the ca- costumes can't look like that. You know, like he's going to be involved. Oh, yeah. You know, he Especially because like, kinda... so we both watched uh, Room 237, which is a fascinating Beautiful. documentary. I love it's it. It's amazing. I've seen it so many yeah, times. It's, it's so great. great. Um, yeah. But in one of the things it points out, like one of the great like things it points out is like randomly there's a chair missing in a, in a, in a single long like take shot where it's like we've, we've set up there's a chair in this room and then all of a sudden we cut away and then we cut back. The chair's gone. Cut away, cut back, yeah. the chair's there again. And everyone's pointing yeah, yeah, out that, yeah. like, there's no way that knowing everything about Stanley Kubrick's filming process, that that didn't happen on purpose, period. Mm-hmm. There, nobody considers it a goof. <laughs> like, nobody at yeah, all yeah, considers yeah. it a goof. Because So if it shows up on IMDb as a, as a as a goof on IMDb, that's not a smart person who wrote that down as a goof being like, well, oh, I caught it. Or it'll be in brackets, like, possibly intentional. Yeah. Like, if it's a Kubrick, it's like, maybe this is on purpose. Whereas in, in this movie we just talked about, like, this is one of my favorite movies to, like, see mistakes in is Aliens. Because there's, like, a bunch of weird editing problems where, like, her headset just disappears <laughs> when she freaks out in the truck. Or uh, you see Lance Henriksen's actual torso when he's yep. ripped in half. Yeah. Like, there's just like big goofs on the screen that aren't intentional at all. When he's ripped in half, but yeah, you'd he never be like, no, no. See... James Cameron was saying something about his humanity or yeah. something. It's like, no, Lance Henriksen leaned too far. Yeah, he leaned it's too far back. Per- you know, and he, he kept the shot. Like he kept the shot. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
they didn't catch it in time and whatever. Yeah. They had to move on. And so that's where like yeah. Stanley Kubrick is like, he's so precise. So if there is like a true auteur, like a true, actual true auteur, they have to be Stanley Kubrick level in my mind. And I just don't think many directors, even though they can create yeah. a visual style, even though they can create a consistency of quality, like, like Steven Spielberg can of a career or Steven, Bo- Steven Soderbergh can as a career, like just they make great movies and even the worst movies are kind of like still good. Like like the Coen brothers, the Coen brothers are another great example of like, there's a lot of like things about the Coen movies that are very perfect. And they, they even write some of their movies to write, make it perfect. But there's still examples of many examples were in their career where like they didn't write that movie. They weren't involved in this movie and they shot it. And it's like, unless I'm stepping into something here for you, are you, no, I'm I'm trying to think of like they usually write their movies. Uh, there's definitely screenplays they've done for other people, and then that that magic doesn't necessarily go oh, with no. that. Yeah, you know, I think I'm getting it wrong. I'm immediately <laughs> thinking burn burn after reading. And did they write that one? Oh yeah, yeah, they did. yeah. So yeah, like so uh, they're they, writing. Every they did thing. not have their their go to uh, like cinematographer. That's right. Deacons wasn't involved but, with that one. But they, yeah, to be fair, like, at this there, point, there's collaborators that come and go and change. Yeah, like. Sonnenfeld used to be their guy and everything, but yes. yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. Okay, but okay, I but mean, my my point still stands. So I mean, I guess the Coen Brothers could be the next one, but then there might be somebody who'd show up and say like, "Well, there's." I just say it's it's a much rarer category than like marketing teams will have you believe with like from visionary yes. director blah blah blah, and you're just like, oh, I guess like he's made a few movies, but you know, but it, like it's a it's a way to like really you you like that movie you you'll like this oh movie. for sure like kind of thing right yeah. it's easy marketing but i'm going to make the argument fodder, i'm going to sit here and be like but, yeah. i love some of these directors i love a lot of directors but i'd make the argument most of them aren't, aren't auteurs like scorsese is not sure. an auteur like he isn't it's it's tough to do yeah i don't know have you seen Cundin, I man? mean, because he's he's doing the thing where he's working with a lot of different writers and he's working with a lot of different people and he's making a lot of different movies that don't have like a singular vision in the same way Hmm. Like Age of Age of Innocence is a is a different movie than the rest of his catalog. So is Cundin. Oh, right. But you like I'd almost like pair that like emotionally somehow with like silence or something. Like it's like I see the same Scorsese made those two movies. Hmm. But then the Cape Fear Scorsese made Wolf of Wall Street yeah. <laughs> or something, you know. So it's like you I can don't like know. he has like he has like three He's categories. He's a man that wears many hats. He has three yeah. categories of film. And and then and then when I sat down to watch Hugo, I didn't know which Scorsese I was gonna see. And then it was the film enthusiast Scorsese. Yeah. And I was like, oh wow, look at that. Yeah, it's the like, documentary film guy who's like, I could have made a documentary about Melier, but I'm just gonna make this movie instead. Yeah, it's the guy that made that like Hitchcock short for some reason, where there yeah. was like a script lying around. And he's like, we're gonna make this. Yeah. It's like just because, because whatever. Yeah. Like I want to make a film in the style of this other guy. And but what like, I'm trying okay. to say is like. Even Scorsese doesn't meticulously get involved with it. He has a univis- he has a unified vision in a lot of his movies, but there are still collaborators in all of his like purview. He still has oh, like writers sure. he's working yeah, with. At a point, like that's the talent is the collaborating yes. <laughs> ability. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's sort of like a weird. It's such a murky area. Like this book I'm reading did kind of point at like it's young French like writers came up with this whole idea for the Caillou du cinema and they were kind of messing around. Sure. Okay. So I <laughs> but, guess, the, okay. Can I just share, yeah. share like a very specific Martin Scorsese, like where I think like the whole argument of him being auteur falls apart. Cause it still has a little bit of his vision in it, but it doesn't quite uh-huh. is the departed. 
his entire career, he's been like a New York based person. When he has like crime or anything, it's New York based. Yeah. Here's a Boston based movie, which is like that's sacrilege for New York and Boston stuff. But he, so he gets William Monaghan to show up, who's a Boston boy, to write a yeah. Boston movie that Martin Scorsese is doing for for William Monaghan. I mean, I don't feel like playing outside of your safe zone or wheelhouse is necessarily discrediting. Yes, like, but I think it's it just it lends itself to not support. Like that's the almost the Soderbergh thing where he's willing to play outside his his box. Oh, but I know? just don't know if Soderbergh's also. Uh, I think Soderbergh's okay. too much of a collaborator as well. I think the auteur theory well, is like uncollaborative of people, like people that well, have that, singular that's the, vision. That's the weird thing where it's like, is it a scale of production thing? Like past a point, you can't control it anymore, so it. Be, you can't be the author of like Zodiac if you're David Fincher because sure. there's too many people worked on it yeah. or something. Yeah, you know. Well, well, what I'm trying to, or, well, I think what I'm trying to say is like I think it's just like the 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 single handedness of like were, were you involved in every aspect of film versus yeah. at some at some point you're discounting like an incredible amount of human talent. Yes, that is like hundreds of people going into this like little little details that we try to like you know like I tried to highlight the the first person predator two people which yes. is like 10 people out of like hundreds that worked on predator two yeah. but it's still just like there's so many units that had a hand and like did little things like are we are we blaming james cameron for like the miniature guy not being yes. that great 100%. you know i, I am it's, at least but that's okay because like he got those turned into him and went sure whatever instead of like get this out of here make those look heavier or something you know well he kept going back uh, to the same guy so yeah i would say yes they won best visual effects that year oh like, it's, it's crazy just... to me it's crazy to me that's fine but, uh i don't know it's just at some point yeah like the complexity of like that many people making a thing is so hard to like track or follow you want to reduce it to a person or like five people to like really be able to navigate their creative works or something instead of being like no unfortunately actually it was the assistants like the script edit like the script person mm -hmm. they were the secret sauce to like making this all play and nobody follows them so you know if you if you know who that is you'll they'll find every movie they touched was amazing yeah. or like there's some midas a caster person whoever they who was in <laughs> casting like casting oh, sure. a big is a the big handful part of, it. of casting directors that get work. Yeah, and yeah. then the best one out there is like, oh yeah, that was perfect. Like they casted that person. That makes sense. So every single time. Yeah. It's it's a complex thing. Yeah. But I, I've started thinking about it more. That's why we're mentioning writing credits now on the show. Uh just to get away from unconsciously contributing to the notion that, you know, I'm trying to think of like someone I'm willing to throw under the like is Rennie Harlan an auteur? <laughs> Oh, you could have you no? could have gone up a few steps after that too. That's fine. Oh, what do you mean? It's I, it's not okay. I'm gonna I want to get to the point where it's okay. Like I'm saying, auteurs are rare. So if you're not an auteur, it's not a problem. You can still be a great filmmaker. That's what I'm trying to oh, say. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like you can so, do, be, do some good solid work. It's fine. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm saying like you can be a great filmmaker and not be an auteur. Like be a great filmmaker and not be an auteur. Who? Okay. That's what I'm trying and to you're say. You're saying maybe Soderbergh, maybe Spielberg, yeah, or that. I'm saying yeah, like okay. Kubrick is a rare beast. Like who is involved in that much intensity? Like the fact that you, yeah, like intensely into a project like that is rare. Within like, he makes one movie a decade. 
past the point that yeah, that's yeah. what happened. Anyways, my point is like yeah. that's that's all I'm trying to say is like it's a I think being an auteur is a rare thing, but being a great filmmaker is something that anybody can be. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just like maybe Cameron thinks that too. So it's like gotta wait ten years for Avatar two. No, I hundred percent think will... he thinks he's a genius. <laughs> And he thinks he's an right. auteur. I he 100% think, percent thinks, he he's thinks he's an auteur. Yeah. But like <laughs> yeah. the very fact that what you just said, like the fact that there was uh, like a flaw with Bishop, he would make the argument about it being Bishop. Like he would make that argument about it being his humanity. <laughs> In hindsight. Whereas like, just like Stanley Kubrick would yeah, have been like. Yeah, was really fighting me that day and I just said whatever. Whereas Stanley Kubrick <laughs> would be like, I'm not accepting that shot. We're doing it again. A uh, hundred times. A hundred and twenty-seven yeah. times until we got it right. Yeah. Get more slime on Lance Henderson. Yeah. We got to do it again. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Anyways, it's fine. Okay. Let's, uh, yeah, this is, I okay. think it was a pretty fun experiment. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see. Uh, let's wrap it up and like tell people we, what okay. they got next. Uh, oh, right. Uh, do I have it in here? Okay. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, next week, we are blasting off to distant planets for big slab of space horror kind of carrying on from our conversation today yeah like a nice narrative uh, f- like a nice like marriage a between bridge. superior sequels to space horror unintentional not intentional at all but it just worked out that way not initially but it, it's really worked out uh our first movie will be uh pandorum directed by christian albert and written by travis malloy see two people at least made this movie uh <laughs> i've been curious about this one for a bit but i never actually stopped to give it a look uh i borrowed it from the library once and just didn't i have always heard like hey this is solid and i'm like okay yeah let's watch it let's at least see uh if you want to contribute a question or opinion to the show you can email ryan at okvideo.ca or nathan okvideo.ca or tweet us at okvideopodcast until next week i'm nathan and i'm ryan bye bye for now